Hello, it is Thursday, June 18th. Already. Damn. Can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show today. It is a packed show. I think you're going to be like, damn. That show is insightful. And if that is how you feel after listening to this, feel free to tell a friend. And if you don't enjoy the show, just act like it never, ever fucking happened. All right. Hashtag this where I'm at, Pat. Tweet me a picture where you're listening to this. We're putting together something special for the end of quarantine. Uh, I appreciate all of you. You're the absolute best. Let's get to it. The NBA has given out its 400-page guideline for how the Biodome will be working down in Orlando. And after talking to Tony Miola just last week, American soccer icon, what the MLS players are being tasked with doing whenever they're playing in their Biodome down in Orlando starting July 8th versus what the NBA players are doing, two very different operations, which would make people believe, once again, Adam Silver... Best commissioner going is what everybody's saying. Now, there's going to be some drawbacks, obviously, because there's a lot of things going on in our world. And people have heard Kyrie Irving talk about his drawbacks and concerns and Avery Bradley of the Players Coalition, his drawbacks and his concerns. But then there's also a lot of players and OG players that have come out and said, hey, this is a big time for not only our sport, our culture, our community spotlight. Kendrick Perkins went on a run this morning. Matt Barnes yesterday, Stephen A. Smith. Then you've got Kyrie and Avery Bradley and I assume others. It's going to be interesting but the NBA has given them a date of June 24th. The players have to come back and say, hey, we want to do this. We don't want to do this. They're staying in three different hotels down in Orlando uh, based on seating. You know, what are nice hotels? We go for the, the good teams, the middle-of-the-pack teams. You guys get, get, get an average-ass hotel. And then those uh, that are at the bottom of the pack there, you'll be staying at the Yacht Club. <laughs> okay, and the Yacht Club is one that nobody desires. It has a great name, but it's not that nice. And now they're kind of going through the entire thing. And last night, the man that was ahead of of the game and we've been learning about the insider world uh in baseball yesterday we learned a lot from david sampson we'll revisit that in the second hour because that's something that people need to hear but in the insider game we've learned from our friend who's about to join us that the insider game involves a lot of reading because whenever memos are sent out or things like that if you're a fast reader and you can get to the information that people want to hear before anybody else all of a sudden you are the fastest insider yesterday all of the nba media and insiders were given the memo that was handed out to all the players i'd assume that they have to vote on in our guy who's joining us right now from the athletic senior nba insider at the athletic sean sharanya was beating everybody last night. I don't know if he was just reading faster than everybody, digesting everything faster, tweeting fast. Twitter fingers were moving very quick. Sean, your your tweets last night were like an AR-15 just coming out with information. <laughs> here it is, here it is, here it is. It actually got to the point where other insiders just went to the end of the thing and started reporting from the last couple uh, pages because you were getting everything early from everything that you tweeted last night. Congratulations, by the way. You're climbing up the ranks of being the guy to go to for any information and knowledge whenever uh, the NBA drops it. From your information last night, did you get a feeling that this was a lot better set up for the players like I did than initially reported? Or was this kind of on par for what you were expecting whenever the guidelines came out? You know, this has been something that's been rumored for a while. Like, you know, teams, agents, players, the MVPA, the Players Union, obviously the league. They've all been working through this document for weeks and weeks and weeks. And everyone has been sitting on pins and needles, like, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? And I'd gotten a tip earlier yesterday that, you know, look out for it tonight. And so I looked out for it. And 
I, I think players, from, from my knowledge, players are still sifting through a lot of the material. You know, players receive pretty much a seven to eight page summary of the, the entire packet. Meanwhile, teams got the full 113 pages. So, you know, players aren't going to be going through the, the full 113 pages. But it, it, as far as the packet itself, it, it is daunting. There's going to be some players that sit out because they do not want part of all that Orlando will entail. But, you know, when you read through it all, you read all the details. To me, it's the NBA just making sure that it can be as safe as possible, that there is no crack in, in, in whatever they end up, you know, coming, coming, you know, with, with their return with. They don't want this to go downhill. And so they're going to do whatever it takes to shore that up. They're expecting you to follow all the rules. If you don't, you, you could be such, uh, subject to suspension, reduction of, of salary. So, the, the, you know, obviously the anonymous tip hotline that, that we oh reported last God. night. <laughs> hey, so this th thing. There are a lot of factors. That, that. anonymous hotline tip uh, thing is amazing to me because – we know that this was instituted by some states, right? They were like, hey, if you see somebody eating too close at a place or getting food, you should call the cops on them for not practicing social distancing. So whenever this came out last night that the NBA was doing the same exact thing, let me tell you my first thought as a member of the New Orleans Pelicans, okay? <laughs> my first thought was, since I'm probably not going to get invited to the Dome down there, but I'm going to do everything I can for the Pelicans, I'm going to get a helicopter and fly them over those two nice hotels. And if any, <laughs> any Western Conference team thinks that they're going to be doing any hanky-panky with each other, outside in the lobby or outside in the pool and they're not going to be social distancing i'm going to be calling that hotline as much as possible i would assume that that hotline will not get used by players it'll become an understanding whenever you go down there hey this is our life we're going to go through this together but that's how serious the nba wanted people to know that they were to about abiding by all the guidelines so that their players are, are safe i'd assume that's why that was added in there do you agree 100%. And, and the league is trying to go above and beyond. And they again, they agreed on this entire 113-page packet with the NBPA. So it's not like the Players Union should have been okay. caught off guard. But, um, you know, w with the hotline, they're clearly providing a service that if a player does, you know, Michelle Roberts said on a call a couple of weeks ago, I found fascinating. You know, she's like, listen, we're not going to be tracking where, where you guys are going to be going. Michelle Roberts, obviously the executive director of the PA. She said, we're not going to be tracking you, but we'll know if you leave. And so some players took that as a like kind of a whoa like a, like is that an unintended shot that you're like you like somehow you guys will still monitor us and I guess this is a way to monitor them the, you know every player will, will have to every player coach anyone in the campus will also have to wear you know what they call a magic band which is essentially Disney's wristband that will allow hotel room access and, and coronavirus checkpoints and security checkpoints uh, screening checkpoints and so. You no, know, there are some agents, some players that fear that that could be a tracking device in some sense that 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 the league that the, that Disney could use to track where players are. And obviously, the NBA, the MBPA will never, you know, go, you know, they they say that that is not a thing. The MBPA made it clear to its players, we are not tracking you guys, uh, you know, at least from a from a software standpoint. But you know, there is that thought and that fear among players that we are being, you know, that maybe our privacy is being too invasive. Shams, invasive. that was a real conversation? They're like, hey, they're giving us this uh, <laughs> the, this Mickey Mouse band because that means we showed our ID and we got into the club, right? So they put a wristband on you, they put a stamp on you, you got right. your ID, you don't have coronavirus, you're allowed in these certain places. And then now, because the world that we're living in in 2020 <laughs> with the way technology is, some guys were like, oh, you just think that band's just get in there, huh? You don't think that they're going to be, because that's really what could happen nowadays. I mean, 
you have every your phone is tracking you at all times. You got the 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 whoop thing that tracks your sleep that you wear on your. I mean, that is a, a real fear for some of these players, I'd assume. Let's dive into a little bit more of what the day to day is going to be like because the MLS. Tony Miola told us that the MLS players. They go to training, they go right back to their hotel room. Three meals will be served to their hotel room. They'll watch film from their hotel room. They go to a game, they come right back to their hotel room. They were basically locked in their hotel rooms for however long this 54-game tournament will be for the MLS. That's what Tony Miola's understanding of the rules was. So whenever we thought the NBA was going to have those same types of rules, I thought that was going to be very difficult to get that done because no matter how much money you have or, or whatever, if you're being told, especially coming after off a of quarantine and everything that's going on, that you have to be in your room for 35 to 40. You go to your room for 35 to 40 days. You can go to practice. You can go there. But for 35 to 40 days, that's a, that's a tough commitment. I can't believe the MLS did that. I thank them for doing that. Can't wait to watch the tournament. But now that it's come out that the players are allowed to use pools, they're allowed to use the, uh, the VIP concierge, they're allowed to use the golf courses, they're allowed to – they're really allowed to do – I don't want to say a lot of things, but the, it does. You can't play doubles ping pong. Don't <laughs> oh. don't even think about playing with a teammate. It's one on one stand on the opposite side of the ping pong table. Unless you want to go in the pool together, then you can stand in there together. And if you want to play basketball against each other, you can sweat on each other there. But only singles ping pong. But it feels like this is a much better, uh, at least living experience than I could have fathomed that they were going to potentially end up with for the NBA thing. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it is like summer camp. Like, these guys are going away like 10 years ago for some of these guys, 15 years ago maybe for some of these guys, like going back to AAU camp tournaments and, you know, spending the, the, the weekend in Orlando, except now instead of the weekend for the NBA champion, this could end up being a four-month expedition. So, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I think that this is the best circumstance the NBA could come up with. Adam Silver has said it time and time again. We're going to be choosing from a lot of bad options. We just got to make sure we choose the best of the bad options. And so – this is the best of that, and they wanted to make sure that the safety was uh, first and foremost. They're, they're blocking everyone off. You can't leave. You can't enter. Um, and and if a player does leave, like it, it was very, you know, the charges are going to be very serious. Ten to fourteen days quarantine, no pay for the games you miss, and players do not, Pat, guys do not want the invasive nasal swab. And if you leave the bubble, you're caught, and you have to go through this protocol. You will get that invasive nasal swab. P perhaps daily yeah i wonder if they led off with that by the way you leave gonna have to get that nose checked <laughs> as soon as you get back maybe twice for however many times you leave the um the kyrie irving avery bradley message that it had been reported i don't know if it was probably by you by the way that i think 80 players were on the call kind of listening to that about how you go to orlando you're potentially away from the mission and message of social justice for everybody and then there was the alternative point that was like hey down there though you're gonna have a lot of eyes on you you're gonna have a lot of cameras on you you can probably boost and spotlight that message even bigger so there's been two different viewpoints here very polar opposite and there was a lie that kyrie irving wanted to start his own league he came out and said that isn't true but how much dissension is there does it feel amongst the players about this concept even though the mbpa was with the nba while they were putting this entire thing together do you think their june 24th vote when it comes back will be like the nfl cba vote where it was like 51 to 49 do you think it'll be like that or will this be a unanimous type thing no i think the majority of players want to play but the nba and the pa are making this individual decision like the decision's already made the nba is moving forward they want to resume their season now it's about who's coming along for the ride. The MBPA and the league approved not only the format, but the entire health protocol. So the league is moving forward.
but there are pretty much three or four groups of players that do not, you know, that are that that the NBA is going to have to see where they go. There's this Kyrie Irving group with Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley. There were several other players on that call, Carmelo Anthony, um, you know, like you said, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, guys that are are just not feeling that the league going back into playing is what's best for the country and what's best for these athletes, right? There's that group. There's also the group of players I'm told that are just deciding if this is the right fit for them. Do they really want to go through the bubble? There are players that have dealt with losses in their life uh, during this pandemic that are dealing with health issues with with family members that have to decide if we're going to return. There are some very notable players, I can tell you, Pat, that are seriously deciding whether this is the right time for them to make their return. Um, Names. And and, and it has nothing to do with this coalition. Who? Who? I, I don't I, I think <laughs> bubble right now, but you know they're deciding if if if, and it has nothing to do quote unquote with this coalition. Some of the same values and morals may apply, but it's really it's each individual decision. And then there is the majority of players I feel that still do want to return to some extent. You know, Damian Lillard said this week that he's he doesn't feel one hundred percent risk free about this whole procedure of going into Orlando and everything that it entails. But he knows he has a, a responsibility to provide for his family. He has a responsibility to return to the floor. And that's how I feel like a majority of the players do still feel. Avery Bradley of the Players Coalition came out and said the owners can do a lot more to help our message. They're talking about using black-owned vendors for in the arenas, giving back more money because the NBA is a predominantly black um, league. Do you think that those things are going to potentially get answered by the NBA owner. It feels like that's something the NBA owners and the NBA league feels like they are the most fast acting, quick thinking, try to make the right decision league. And I might be completely wrong just as an outsider looking in, but it feels like they are a league that kind of, you know, like, Hey, we feel like we got to give back a little bit. Do you think there is a way for the Avery Bradley Kyrie Irving group or any other group that doesn't want to go to have conversations with the NBA to move forward and, and ultimately change their mind? I do. You know, the NBA, like you said, it's been the most progressive league. From what I'm told, the league is just sitting back, waiting to listen from the players. They're trying to do more listening than actually going out and just you know, donating money to random charities. They want to hear a plan, a specific plan from the players for them to execute. That's what I'm told they're doing. The, you know, the league really views that opportunity going down to Orlando as a platform for them to shed light on the social injustice going on, whether that's through, you know, my idea is like, you know, do special commercials, have special shirts, special oh. warm-ups, special court decor. There are so many different things they can do. And, you know, from what I'm told, it's not like the league would oppose a player kneeling during the national anthem. This isn't per se the NFL where, you know, we saw what happened with Colin Kaepernick. Wow. These are the types of acts that the NBA embraces. They want players to go and, and, and really use their platform, use their voice, use their brand, use their face. To, to display a message. And if a player chooses to kneel, you know, during the anthem, they won't be fined, they won't be suspended. The NBA's always been open to hearing out the ideas. They want the players to drive this conversation. How about the players that choose not to go down? I know it's been said that there'll be no punishment, but the player will always think, well, there's no punishment, but I mean, that'll be something that'll be remembered. How does the NBA, how, does, how do the players, 
I don't know. Because if I was ever told there's no – it's like the voluntary workouts, right? Like, yeah, they're voluntary, but uh, your, your playing time is also something <laughs> that is – like, there's always, like, that kind of – is there any hint of that from the NBA to the NBA players? Like, whenever they say there's no – like, if you choose not to come, it's not that big of a deal. I would assume, though, at some point there might be some owners in the NBA that will be like, I remember that guy chose not to come down or something. I don't know. Is there any thought of that? No. I agree with you. I think the guys that sit, there will be something, you know, there, there'll be a memory of them. And that's not a bad thing per se. You know, the hope is that they don't get blackballed. Like if, if, if one of some of the guys from this coalition group, like Avery Bradley, et cetera, if they decide to sit out, ultimately they've already talked about it. If they actually do decide to go through with it, the hope is that it doesn't become a situation where they become blackballed, right? And so, you know, the, the league has made it clear we respect any and all decisions from any players. But, you know, let's be honest, if, if a player from especially a contending team decides not to play, um, you know, it'll be remembered not only from the teammates, but around the league. And it'll be, a, you know, it'll be a topic. And so it's tough to, to, to think that it won't be a thing. But in the back of the, everyone's minds, they'll always remember like, hey, so-and-so did not play. He did not join us. And maybe we won the championship. Maybe we didn't go as far as we thought we would because this guy sat out yeah i just think that is something that the players should definitely think about because like this will have now granted what will be remembered also is them taking a stand for something that they believe in so i think there's there's kind of both both sides no question and that's the way i view it like guys everyone is entitled to their own feeling their own thought like if a guy decides to sit out for whatever reason that's on him like that's his decision you applaud that and you keep it moving and i think that's the approach a lot of people around the league that I've talked to have also wanted to take. Okay, July 31st, the basketball world is supposed to pop back off. They got golf courses. They got concierges. <laughs> they got 24-hour room service. They got pools. They got singles, ping pong. Ooh, but mm-hmm. they do have 35 to 40 days at least away from their families after this entire quarantine with the world upside down. There's a big decision for them to make. Can't wait to hear what it is June 24th. I will be following along with you, sir, as that news breaks because you're the first one to everything. It's impressive, and we're incredibly happy and proud of you, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, Shams Sharanya. If your mailbox is anything like mine, 90% of the time, it's a fairly depressing place. Political bullshit flyers, utility bills, unholy amounts of coupons. But once a month, once a month, I do have a reason to be absolutely stoked. And that's because of my box of awesome from Bespoke Post. Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month. And no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From styling, grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but it has over $70 worth of gear inside. Already saving $25, hello, and get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code HEARTLAND at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code HEARTLAND for 20% off your first box. Here's what it is. Just a quick summary of why I love it. It's like Christmas once a month. A gift from me to me put together by people that know what's cool shit for me to get. And it just shows up. And I love it. I have stuff in the office from them. I have stuff at the house. I have stuff in the kitchen. I literally have stuff everywhere from them. Things that I would have never thought to buy myself. 
Bespoke Post is looking out for you. Boxofawesome.com. Use promo code Heartland. Get 20% off and be pumped up for the gift that comes every month. Hello, we are live. McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. I'm Pat McAfee. Sitting two seats over is AJ Hawk. Sitting in between us is former president of the Marlins and a guy that was on Survivor. Great beard, ladies and gentlemen, David Sampson. Yeah! Hey. I may never get to shave this beard. I'm growing it until I, I keep getting calls. Excuse me. I'm growing this until MLB has opening day. Okay. And now, what if they don't open till next April? I'm going to be ZZ Top. <laughs> hey, it could look good. you got a good beard. I'd be proud of that thing if I were you. Let's talk about the MLB opening day. As a man who was a president of an MLB team, I think you understand the ins and outs of this a little bit more than I probably do. Last night, Manfred went on the Return to Sports Sports Center special and by all accounts was the only person to lose the night. Roger Goodell was on there. Uh, Bettman was on there. The WNBA was on there there everybody was on there rob manford lost the night somehow and for the first time in collective bargaining history it feels like the fans are on the player's side in this entire thing what has gone wrong for manford in your eyes a person who's had to run an mlb club before you know i just talked about this on my nothing personal show which i'm doing every day and it changes every day i think you're right rob manford did lose the day except he didn't lose it because of yesterday he lost it five days ago when he said that it was 100% certain that there would be a season. You can't talk that way. There is no way to say 100% when sports are coming back. Therefore, he had to walk it back because with all of the health issues, with the lack of agreement with the union, with the possibility of a grievance, you cannot start a season if you don't know what you're going to pay the players. It's not going to work, and the owners told them so. David, how much dialogue do you think is going back and forth between the union and the owners? I know a lot of times in negotiations, people are surprised to find out that they may send a proposal, not hear anything for a week or two, and they don't really talk as much as you think they should. I love where your head's at because to me, that was the biggest moment of the night last night when the commissioner admitted that they had no in-person or in-Zoom or FaceTime meetings for nine days. They've only been exchanging mean letters, calling each other names, and then releasing the letters and using the media to leak, which by the way, I love using the media to leak when I was running a team for 18 years. We would do it all the time, <laughs> but this is not the time. Come on, man. You gotta meet with the other side and get a damn agreement. Okay, so a lot of the players are saying, we talked to Trevor Bauer, power hour, power outage. He told us that he hated that this conversation was happening in front of the public eyes, which is basically what you just alluded to. But you just said for 18 years, you loved utilizing the media to get your narrative across. What is something that would get leaked out there? For instance, I've... I've been told that the MLB will float out a proposal that they haven't officially made yet to the media, see how the people respond, and then they're like, okay, good, this one's fucking good, let's write it down, we'll send this over as an actual proposal. Is that something that the MLB has done for a long, long time now? Is that kind of the move? So what, what we would do is we would float, when we wanted to sign a player, we would float it out there to see what sort of reaction we get to a certain player, whether it may move the revenue needle, if we were going to trade a player, we would start floating out, listen, this may not be the best teammate. We may have a clubhouse issue, so we could try to ease the pain when we're making a, a trade because of money. 
when we're doing some sort of promotion, we would float out there an idea that we had. From a labor standpoint, what you are using the media for is not that you're trying to see what the public, I hate to say this, but by the way, Tony Clark and Rob Manford, the owners and the players, it doesn't matter to them whether or not the public is on their side. What the leaks are for actually is so that the other side gets wind of what's coming in advance so they can start working their own constituencies as they try to gain momentum toward an agreement. Because having the public, as Trevor Bauer said, it should all be done in private. I wish that he would stop tweeting and everybody would stop tweeting about it and being so angry with one another. Why can't we all just get along, for Christ's sake? Well, because but- you were a scumbag leaking information that was a lie about a guy because you wanted to cut him because he was worth money and, and you wanted him to be a bad clubhouse guy. That's why we can't all get along. Listen, it's not, let me let me explain, and I'm not going to defend myself other than to tell you, if you think that I invented this, then I've got a bridge to show you. This happens everywhere, in every sport, all the time. We would leak that we're interested in a certain player just so that player would not sign with a different team or so the agent would call so we could drive the prices down. We would leak that we weren't interested in a player when agents would leak that we were, even if we were to try to keep the prices down. Agents leak the fact that every team is interested in a player, so the price goes up. Do you know how many goddamn times, can I say that on this show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times I had to deal with our owner because he would read an article saying, oh my God, the Mets are going to sign Reyes We've got to pay him his seventh year. We've got to give it to him. What? No, we don't. He's not going to sign with them. But we overpaid so many times because agents <laughs> would leak and owners would fall for it every time. So how does that process work when you want to leak something out there? Do you have a few trusted media members? And do they are they in on the leak or do they truly think it's it's legit? Oh, you are the first person to ever ask that. That a boy, AJ! Yeah. A boy, AJ! So that's it. That is awesome. Here's how that works. There are certain media members who we would give, be a source for. We would give information to, and what we would ask for in return is information back. If they're hearing about player movement or about a trade or about any sort of information that could help us as we're either drafting players or signing players or trying to trade players. And what we would get from that media member by leaking information to them and having them be a source is every time you see a list when a manager is being hired or a GM is being hired or a president is being hired and you read a list of, well, there are these five individuals who are being considered for this job. That is payback for when they got information from that executive throughout the course of their career. So when you see an assistant GM who is on a list of names being considered for a GM job, that is mostly in part to the fact that that assistant GM is in touch with that member of the media, giving him or her information that's going on within an organization. So we can find out who the rats are for every single organization, basically, whenever time comes and time reveals itself. So we had a way of finding that out is we would give different scouts and different people different information about trades that we were doing, and then we would see what would make it out there, and then we would know exactly who was talking. 
Kim, uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West did the same thing with their uh, with their baby names. They told their group of friends different names that they were thinking, and then whichever one made it to the tabloid, see you later. You're never getting any more breast milk from this titty. It's, kinda, it's not a bad play. The Rob Manfred, you think he's the one leaking the information himself, or who do you think is doing it from the MLB side? Do you think Manfred is involved in these proposal leaks and this type of stuff, or is it somebody different than Rob? No, they, they do it actually much more systematically. It's people at much lower levels than Rob. Uh, you've got the deputy commissioner who speaks to members of the media. He's not much lower. He's one level lower. Uh, you've got people within organizations. So the commissioner's office will deal with the teams on the executive council, and they will talk about, all right, we're going to get this information out. We're going to get that information out. And then they will choose in different markets where to do it. Do you think that it's a secret or a surprise when Randy Levine meets the media the way he did today or when Ken Kendrick talks to the media the way he did in Arizona? None of that is a surprise. Do you think that Trevor Bauer, for one minute, do you think Trevor Bauer does this and his union does not like what he's doing? Because if that were the case, he would stop doing it. David, who's handling it better, do you think? The, the owners or the players like players got to be the players the fans are on a player's side for the first time in history you agree aj i want i want the the professional's advice pat (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think they're all tied for last i think that both sides are incredibly tone deaf right now i think that with this global pandemic with everything that's going on with the social unrest with the systemic racism that's finally coming to the forefront, that it is unbelievably tone deaf what the players and what the owners and what the commissioner is doing. Unfortunately, there's no other choice because baseball's in a position that the other leagues are not in. They have got to get a labor agreement discussed and agreed to now because they didn't get their season started. But trust me, the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL are going to have their own problems because team revenues have gone into the crapper. Okay, so the thought of the MLB not having a season, in your eyes, you don't think that's going to – you think that in the end of the day there's going to be a season. Is that accurate? If I have any chance with anyone for the next year, I sure as hell hope so. Okay, because like I talked to Jet Passan. Jeff Passan, obviously. Yeah, with your beard. Yeah, okay. You're talking about That's sex. That's what life. I meant. Yeah, you're talking about having sex with lost, lost in textlation. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do hope there's going to be a season because there needs to be baseball. Jeff Passan said that, and in my eyes, if you watch Manfred speak, it's almost like Rob is trying to delay as much as possible, and the players are now calling him out on it because the prorated salary, less games, more money. That It seems like that is where this is all hovering around. Where do you think they end up falling on since you've actually seen the inside of this and how this could potentially play out where do you think they land at yeah it's not so so many people are calling this a stall technique and i just want to be clear that it is not here's why okay i've said from the beginning on cbs and on nothing personal and even on my twitter account that without a health agreement and health protocols the league can't start the july 4th date was a dream from the beginning it was never going to happen And the biggest mistake the commissioner made is having an expectation by the fans that there could be baseball in July where we could pledge allegiance and celebrate Independence Day with opening day. Never going to happen. At best, it's the end of July or August 1st because that's as soon as it can be. So what I'd like to see happen is a realistic schedule given to the players. What I'm hopeful is that the broadcast networks 
will allow the playoffs to be shown in November. Then we can start August 1st and have more than 50 games and come to an agreement. But if they won't show playoff games in November, then the season has to end at the end of September, and then there can only be 50 or 55 games. It's not a stall. Rob Manford's not stupid. Owners are not stupid. Players are not stupid. It is too bad that people are taking the narrative that it's a stall, because it's not. Manfred's dumb. <laughs> why, no. why he may Manfred... be a lot of things, but dumb is not one of them. He can't speak publicly. He, and public speaking is a pretty big deal for being a commissioner, and he stinks at that. I mean, that's... So when, when we were helping him get elected, and we went through the process of moving on from Bud Selig, do you know what percentage of importance it was to owners who were voting on a new commissioner the ability to be a public speaker. If you had a guess, if you were breaking down the job, what would you say would be the public, would be the percentage of being able to be public facing? Well, after watching Roger Goodell work for all these years, I would say it should be 95% what we should be looking for is a public speaker. That, that should have been like number one for us. No, below 5%. What? It's obvious, too, by the way. It is very obvious that that's made a lot of sense. And here's why, though. His job, do you know that Rob Manford almost wasn't elected commissioner because there were owners who thought he was too soft on the players' union? There were owners who felt like Jerry Reinsdorf thought that he was too pro the players and too soft and willing to negotiate. That's the irony of all this right now. David, you said he wasn't dumb and, and when you talk about Manfred, but why would you throw out that July 4th date when you know it wasn't going to happen? He's dumb, David. He's dumb. Hold on. Hold on. When you say he threw out the July 4th date, are you sure that he threw that out? Oh, absolutely not. I am not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to go source that, that question and find out for sure who said that July 4th was the date? That was an aspirational, media-driven concept, huh. hopeful that spring training could start now and that there could be games July 4th. So you're saying that we shouldn't be as hard on Rob Manfred as we have been because he said some things that haven't been fantastic. No, I'd like you to be hard on him because I agree that it's been an issue. But I, what I do believe is that What's happening between players and owners needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. They need to get back to the table and start negotiating a settlement. Okay. Now. You sound like SVP last night. A lot of people are echoing that sentiment. I know you have to get out of here in like a minute. We can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, final question here. I, I checked your Wikipedia. You hate Derek Jeter, huh? Derek Jeter, you and Derek Jeter just do not get along well. Is that is that an accurate statement? He absolutely hates me, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because he overpaid by five hundred million for his team. Maybe because he thought that he he thought I stunk at my job. And after eighteen years, maybe he was right. But let me tell you something: he's no better than I was. <laughs> do you take Do you take any credit for helping create Marlins, man? Helping create him or trade him? Oh, well, Marlins, man, I think you were a part of uh, building a legendary character, a guy who just goes around in orange and gets the best seats in every single house he could possibly get. Do you feel like you're a part of that? I am absolutely not a part of that. I know Lawrence Levy well. He is someone who loves attention and loves spending money on tickets and friends, and good for him. I'm happy for him. I always enjoyed seeing the Marlins jersey, but we never paid him. We never asked him to do it. I ended up having to say no to him more than I said yes 
because he had a lot of requests over the years of things that he wanted, but he really has a good heart and he loves the game of baseball. He's probably the person most impacted by having <laughs> games without fans because he's saving so much money right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, former Marlins president for 18 years. Now he's a podcaster. You see him on CBS Sports and on Twitter. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, David Sampson. Thank you. Yeah, David. Thank you, David. Woo! That guy was a lightning rod, dude. <laughs> that dude was awesome. Yeah, he came in hot from the jump. <laughs> <laughs> I, last night, I was up all night trying to figure this out. I Last night was an interesting night for me because I was trying to learn why. Because Rob Manfred makes $25 million a year. Okay. So I started looking into Rob. And then I watched that performance on the uh, Back to Sports, Return to Sports special. And I watched his performance. And I'm like, how is this? How is this the motherfucker we landed on? Now that I'm learning that less than 5% of it revolved around being able to publicly speak, which by the way, that should be the number one thing is, hey, this person should be able to talk his way out of a bag if he has to for the good of our league. So I think that's a little bit of a fault on theirs. But boy, baseball, I think is going to come back, but they are in a bad spot, AJ. It's a big baseball show all of a sudden, but they are in a bad spot all of a sudden. Yeah, this has become a, a big baseball show with everything that's going on. I, I'd like to, I'd give Samson credit, man. Like, he must. I didn't. We didn't get a chance to to ask him, but we'll have him on again. Like, he definitely is not trying to get back into baseball, is he? No, he a doesn't sound baseball. like it. No, <laughs> no, he does that's not. That's why he's good. That's why he's good at what he's doing. Maybe it's because he paid over five hundred million dollars too much money for the team. That, I mean, you take. I mean, he was he was wide open right oh, yeah. there. I don't know if I believe a word he said, but I would. I will. I want to talk to him for another hour at least. Uh, big news coming out of the NFL world. There was a offseason carousel for quarterbacks where nobody knew where anybody was going to go. Legends were finding new homes. Philip Rivers is now a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Tom Brady, the man who was the staple for the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports, was a free agent for the first time ever. Was he going to go to another team? Nobody knew. Were him and Bill Belichick going to split up? He ends up going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which nobody expected. And today, just 19 minutes ago, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rolled out the first photo shoot, the first session, the first time of getting to see handsome TB12 in his Tampa Bay Buccaneer uniform. We do have a picture of that. We're pulling it up. Coming up right now as we speak because... Because Boston Connor, while we were talking to David Sampson back there, I saw his face look down at his phone, see the photo, and react in a very negative fashion. This is the first time Patriots fans, I think, are really going to have to get smacked in the mouth with reality that Tom Brady is no longer up there in Foxborough, AJ. So I want to ask Connor and other Boston sports fans, when they see Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Bucks uniform, does it feel like... All of a sudden, your longtime girlfriend went and got with like your best buddy, and all of a sudden, you you show up and she's at the dance with this dude. Yeah. No, she got your buddy's sweatshirt on walking out of the house in the morning. Oh, uh, excuse oh. me, just got pounded out here by uh, <laughs> by somebody that that we both knew there for a little bit. Yeah, no, I imagine it's more like I died and I'm looking down on my ex-wife banging my best friend, and you know. There's nothing I can do about it. Hey, well, cool glasses on you. Let's take cool a look glasses. at old Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay uniform. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? 
How does handsome get better looking? I'll tell you what, put him in a Buccaneers jersey that's great at. Not only does the, oh, the whites look perfect. The whites look perfect. Look at the color scheme with his skin tone and his big brain. You can already tell he's getting more credit for the success that this team has. More now than he ever got in New England. Look how thankful he is to be a Buccaneer just by seeing him in this jersey, AJ. It looks good, doesn't it? Man, oh, I'm, I'm my. Video of this. Yeah, there it is. That's the, the glamour shot. Are you kidding me? He looks like he's 22 again. He's refreshed. He's revitalized. He's thankful to be in a place that's thankful for him. Tom Brady, TB12, looks brand new in a Buccaneers uniform. Congratulations to the TB, TB12. Does he have the zigzag... Uh Neck sure hair, like haircut, and that. that last picture, because uh, that would be quite quite a look for Tom. That could, oh, oh, oh looks wow. like he. Might. Jeez, terrible haircut. I'm not gonna say midlife crisis. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. That was him taking his helmet off, by the way. It smudged the hair a yeah, little yeah, bit. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's well, because he had his helmet on. Remember, he saw him with the white uh, jersey on, calling out plays, looking at me, look at me. He's already making checks in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. He's already having workouts where helicopters are hovering over top. Tampa Bay, Tom Brady is the new rave. Nobody's even going to remember he played for the Patriots, just like when Peyton went to Denver. The only photo you've seen is him with a fucking Broncos jersey. Say hello to the new jersey that you see Tom Brady in, probably for the rest of his life. Yeah, the hair might be actually from the immunity pills that he has, Tony. <laughs> that might be a side effect, actually. Maybe. A snake oil I don't pills? even know. What are, you, what are you speaking about, Connor? What is that? I don't know what you're oh, talking you about. Oh, you don't know about the TB12 immunity pills? That if you take it, you're basically immune to anything that could harm you? Uh, is that what he claims? Uh, I don't know if those are the exact claims, but uh, immunity pills are very telling. So if I take that, do I win six Super Bowls and get no credit for it? Because that's what it feels like what happened up in New England. Oh, uh, no, those, the immunity pills came after that. You take those just in case you win six Super Bowls and you get pissed off if you don't get enough credit. Then you go <laughs> and you purchase the immunity pills and you'll feel much better. And you'll get a new haircut. He, he's going to be... Do you really feel like... That's what's at the bottom of all of this, of Tom eventually moving on, obviously, from New England, that he... Oh, yeah. He would never say it publicly, I'm sure. Yeah, but I think so. that he just feels like, hey, man, like, yeah, no one's bigger than the team, but I'm kind of bigger than this team. I am... <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that the Patriot way is the Patriot way, but I would like to think that I am literally the Patriot way. I take less money. I play better than everybody. I show up to work. I'm invested. I still have the fire and vigor inside of me to be the best player I could possibly be. Yeah, the Patriot way. Why don't we just call it the Tom Brady way at this fucking point? I win six Super Bowls, and I still can't say, hey, I'd like that wide receiver on my football team like every other quarterback in history. I think that is what it is. Now, Tom's super professional. He's handled this all very well, talking about how he understood the whole thing and everything. But I think deep down, whenever you start talking to, to Peyton and obviously the control that Peyton had and the credit of Peyton, and then I assume he also talks to other, other guys that are up there in that legendary status. I mean, at some point, if you've been doing it for 20 years and you're the greatest of all time and everybody says that, I would assume at some point you'd be like, hey, I would like a little bit of credit here from within my own house. You know what I mean? I'd like a little bit of credit here within my own house. But don't you think he also probably has a little bit like, all right, I've done this in New England for 20 years, been super successful. Mm, he feels yeah. like he should have more rings than he does have, but he's probably thinking like, all right, sometimes a change of scenery is needed, and I just want to see if I can get this done somewhere else. New challenge. Maybe that is. Maybe he got bored. Maybe he's like, Same hey. with Belichick. Like, Belichick has the, obviously a gigantic, huge new challenge that's probably invigorated him, like makes him feel like, okay, I have a whole new lease on what I'm on life of what I'm doing, how I'm going to attack this thing, because I need to find a way to be successful without Tom. 
Are they stinking to get Trevor Lawrence? Oh. <laughs> I mean, the players aren't, but I, I can't see the front office there doing that either. either right? Belichick might catch coach. We don't even know. Josh McDaniels and Belichick might be able to flip Jared Stidham into what? Another 10 Super Bowls. Yep. Would that be surprising at all if that was to happen at this? If they went to 10 straight Super Bowls with Jared Stidham, it would be very surprising because that means they went through Patrick Mahomes and a Chiefs team 10 straight times. But if they had a lot of success with Jared Stidham, I don't, at this point, I don't think anybody would be surprised. And also, if they absolutely stink with Jared Stidham, I don't think anybody would be surprised. But if Tom Brady goes out there and plays bad football for Tampa Bay, it's going to be loud. It is going to be loud about how, without Bill Belichick, just couldn't ever get it right couldn't ever do it so it's uh you know it's an interesting time for both of them but those jerseys look amazing on tom brady i mean i'm oh over the shoulder smiling because he has a new home determination looking forward at the road that he he's about to take with the tampa bay buccaneers team look this look at me pointing at my big ass fucking brain look at this brain (laughs) this brain right here is gonna lead us to the promised land this brain right here look at this brain right here aj look at this brain. do you think that howard stern interview would have happened if he was still on the new england patriots no chance in hell do you think the Patriots – okay, so if Tom goes, let's say he was still in the Patriots and he went and he did the exact same kind of interview with Howard Stern, which he was very open and honest, more than we've ever really seen Tom publicly talk about. Would the Patriots – do you think he would legit get a call from Bill Belichick or something like, hey, Tom, like, yeah, too much, what, what way you too doing? much? You're telling, you're, you're telling Howard, have you ever seen the videos from Howard Stern from 20 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Do not go on that show. Uh, you know what that guy said? He said, don't ever go on that show. Uh, I think that's what happened. Is Belichick the one that drummed up all of this stuff for Howard Stern? Because <laughs> Tom went on the show. <laughs> By the way, shouldn't laugh at those things. The things that were coming out for those videos are absolutely terrible. But I don't think those interviews would ever happen with the Patriots, and they didn't happen. He wanted and, to, and Tom said he'd been a fan of Howard's for a long, long time. They wanted to make it work. Yeah, but Tom probably just didn't feel like he could be as open and honest as he wanted to. He said, I, I wanted to make it good when I finally did come on. He's like, I wanted to be able to speak, you know, without being yelled at like I was a fucking child by the uh, the coach and the GM of the team that I played for for 20 years and won six Super Bowls. He was pandering, okay? He could have asked and Bill would have let him gone on, but he yeah. just never asked. That's what I'm talking about right there, though. It's a grown-ass man. He has to ask. Exactly. That is what the problem is. That is you, by the way, Boston trying to drum up. All he had to do was ask for permission to do it. Yeah. He's fucking 50 years old at this point. He's won six Super Bowls. He, he shouldn't have to ask anybody. It's just like when you're in training camp and I saw Vinatieri's room getting checked at a certain time. I'm like, is this really? You guys are checking Vinatieri's bedtime right now? This guy's. 75 years old he's got kids that he we're checking and that was happening it's a very interesting world the professional sports world but you either buy in or you don't the patriot way has been good for a long long time will it still be able to be good whenever they don't underpay the best quarterback in the league and they now have a whole new set well time will tell but those new uniforms look damn good aj they look good what, what's the over and under on uh on new england this year for wins uh, I think they're at nine or ten. Yeah, in the middle of the pack. I don't think they're ten. I think it's nine and a half. Probably down to eight now, if I had guessed. Because of how good Tom looks in that uniform. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terrible. Artist, I'm going to bet the over for whatever the Patriots are, just because I want to be able to say I knew Belichick was going to be able to do it. If I lose the money, just act like it didn't happen. Just well, they need to have their defense stinks. needs to really 
be solid if they want a chance to be good. That's what they did last year, though. That defense lost some of those guys, though. Oh, uh, they lost Kyle Van Noy. Yeah. They lost, but they still got Gilly. Next guy up, Roberts. They lost a lot of their backers. Next guy up, and but they still got Gilly Lock, which will hold it down on the back end. But you're 100 percent right to be able to what Kyle Van Noy and Collins and the, they were able to do for them is, is but this is why Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick, you know. And we're gonna find out. Nine and a half for Tampa, nine for New England. Yeah. What's the better bet there? Over on Tampa or under on New England? Under on New England. Under on New England's a smarter bet, I think, just because they have a rookie quarterback. You have no idea. Well, not a rookie quarterback, a first-year quarterback. You have no idea what's going to – that guy could go out and throw 16 interceptions in the first game. That could literally happen. He could have a game like old buddy from the Buffalo Bills. What was his name, that guy? Peterman. They, they to Peterman, what he had, he had ten passes and eight interceptions or something at one run there. It, that could happen with Stidham. You have no idea. Now, will the running game for the New England Patriots be able to carry them like it has in the past? I assume Josh McDaniels will be able to drop something. But without that defense that carried them last year with a lot of missing parts, I mean, there's a chance that they could potentially be bad, like bad next year. But on the flip side, there's a chance they could be good. I just think there's a better chance that they're bad than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers catch a fire win 10 games. That's a tough division down there in the NFC. Well, don't you think, though, if Jared Stidham comes out, and let's say he throws three interceptions in the first quarter of the first game. I think oh, by, by the time they break the locker room for halftime, Cam Newton may be suited up in a New England <laughs> He's still out there. They're going to have to sell some bag of balls to be able to afford Cam Newton somehow, though. They have no salary cap up there. I don't think they have any. But you're right. Cam Newton is still out there. That's why this big conversation is going to – and Cam Newton posted this morning him working out. He said it's better to be prepared for when an opportunity comes than to be not prepared when an opportunity does come. Something like that. Smart. Smart. No, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity that might not happen than unprepared for an opportunity when it does come. Something of that Ooh. nature. He, he he said it in a, a, of that nature. He said it in his in his his language. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was trying to read through it as quick as possible before we get on there. But it is wild to me that Cam Newton's still out there. Very, very, very insane to me. Especially when you look around, you see some trash quarterbacks that are potentially going to line up a quarterback this year for people, and he's looking better than ever with a chip on his shoulder. He'll end up somewhere. It's just where? Maybe in Cleveland. Let Baker go out there and throw a couple picks early and they'll look like he has an advance. You don't think they're going to be calling for Cam Newton over there in Cleveland? Stat? I would assume they would be. He's already got this rapport with OBJ, as we can see from this video. <laughs> How come you and I don't get invited to these workouts, you think? I mean, look like these, these what do you call it, smash cuts and all like the herky-jerky camera action. This is highly, like this is some high production value. Oh, this is YouTube, bub. This is a YouTube vid. Zoom in. Zoom out. Zoom in. Zoom on. Cut. Casey Neistat effect. Odell Beckham looks very good at football still. Yeah. He, he's coming off a hurt hernia last year. Uh, he did not complain about that once Ooh. publicly, which is insane. Oh, he's still doing that, huh? Yeah, but he brings yeah. in the second hand there at the end. Oh, uh, he's lost? Is he losing it? Nah, I don't want to judge. Ball wasn't as tight, though. And those balls, you, it has to be a good throw. Oh, uh, okay. A lot on the one-handed catch is on the throw, by the way. If that thing's a loose ball, that thing's tough to snag. But if you get a nice, crisp, tight one... You can just grab that thing, especially with the gloves. OBJ has made a living off of it. He was hurt all last year, didn't have a great year, did not come out and bury Freddie Kitchens or the <laughs> Cleveland Browns at all. I have no idea how. I have no idea how. If I'm OBJ, I would assume I would have come out. I think him and Jarvis Landry are going to be quite a team going forward, and I would assume that if Baker doesn't do well, there could be calls for Cam Newton, but I think Baker will do well. Feels like Baker is maybe having an offseason where he's uh, kind of finding himself again, I hope. I think so. I think it's set up perfectly for the Browns now. Fly under the radar. Don't let people talk about you. Let everyone think, like, okay, here you go. You got another head coach. It's going to be the same old Cleveland Browns, and maybe they surprise a couple people. It's tough in that AFC North, though, because Ben Roethlisberger is mm -hmm. back. 
He... Joe Burrow is there now in Cincy. And then, oh, hey, Lamar was jumping over jet skis in the offseason, just dominating everybody. That AFC North all of a sudden has become very, very, very interesting. Now, everybody knows when winter comes, Cincinnati is going to drop off because they can't practice inside. <laughs> That's going to be a big deal. Everybody knows that. The Pittsburgh Steelers, though, we're talking to James Conner, who is an author. His book, Fear is a choice drop today. He'll probably be a New York Times bestseller here within the next week. Congrats to him. He's going into a contract year, as is Juju Smith-Schuster. He talked about his workouts with Roethlisberger, and he said it looked like Roethlisberger was all the way back whenever they've been out there working out. That's massive for the Steelers, who almost made the playoffs last year when they legitimately didn't have a quarterback. I mean, Duck went in there and did everything he could, but that Pittsburgh Steelers team almost made the playoffs last year with no quarterback. Now, you throw in Ben Roethlisberger, if he's anywhere near where he was, even better is what some people are saying. I mean, that AFC North could be a real kick in the dick for everybody in there. That could be a cannibalized division there if you really think about it. Yeah, but whoever finds their way out should hopefully make a great run in the playoffs, though. They've been, they've been battle-tested. Yeah, but then you run into the fucking Ferraris over there in Kansas City, and it's like, well, we got our Ford trucks over here at AFC North. We've been running, and then all of a sudden you get to Kansas City, and it's like, boom, 4-2, boom, 4-3, boom, 4-4, boom. How'd they get this guy on the team and still have enough money on the salary cap? Nope, nobody knows. Boom, he's gone. There's another 4-3. And then you got Andy Reid just drawing things up, and then, oh, you got a quarterback who can throw off his back foot 75 yards. That Kansas City Chiefs team is stupid. Makes no sense. I assume they'll lose a game. We'll all be very confused by it. But, damn, that is going to be tough for the AFC for the long So, AJ and Pat, question. Um, you just said they will be battle-tested for the playoffs. So, would you rather have that, or would you rather be New England for years and years and years where the only good team in the division, and they did quite well? I'd rather be battle-tested. Now, obviously, there's you can go about it any many different ways depending on what your team is like, like what the, the makeup of your team is. Is it vets? Is it mostly young guys? Like, what is the mixture like? But I, I think being battle-tested and not having to try to figure out, oh, how much are our starters going to play in this last regular season game if we have a bye the upcoming week. Like, I, I like having to fight your way in. The Colts, whenever they won the Super Bowl in 2006, before I got there, I guess there was a game like week 14 or week 13 maybe, they played the Jackson. might have been week 15. I don't know. It was mentioned, though, a couple times throughout my run there. They lost to Jacksonville or somebody like a bad. Like, they got blown out. And they said that that game was a massive game for them because they were kind of feeling themselves, but then they got a chance to kind of see what could happen whenever they don't show up. And then they obviously go on to win the Super Bowl and beat the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl. They go and do that. So that 2009 team that I was on, when we went undefeated 14 games and then lost whenever we chose to lose, and then I, I think there was a lot of questions on whether or not, like, hey, we haven't really had that smack-in-the-mouth situation here. We've literally been able to do whatever we do. So I remember conversations happening about that type of stuff, like, oh, we're going to lose our momentum if we rest our players. We haven't really run into a, a, a problem yet. Like, we're, our games are pretty much – so everybody was kind of worried. And then, you lo and behold, whenever we get to the Super Bowl, whenever the tide turned on us there in the second half, it was like we couldn't get back into it. I don't think that's because of the battle tested, but maybe it was. Maybe it was because the team was so damn good for so long, we hadn't been like slapped in the mouth out of, out of nowhere. There's, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. I think each team is so different, but you're saying battle tested one's the one you want to get. You're, you're the one that's out there every single play. You think being battle tested, knowing that if your huddle has been in a situation before, you can rely on that later. Is that what you think? Yeah, and that's just me personally. I'm sure if you asked every guy that's ever played, they'd all have a different opinion. But that's just how I feel because I think there's not as much like 
I guess, unknown. When you're trying to rest towards the end of the season and you know you're going to the playoffs, you already start envisioning the run you're going to make. Oh, well, we want home field advantage. It'll be cool. But if you're just fighting to find a way to, to get your place at the table so you have a chance to make a run, I think it does something for your team. I think it does something where you know like it, you can you can count on your buddy behind you, the guy in front of you, and you know like what – there's not a situation you haven't been in. Sure, we've won – we've blown guys out. We've been – down 21 nothing at halftime and come back in one like we've won many different ways and sometimes when you roll through everybody all of a sudden you may get in a big game in the afc nfc championship game or something and you're down 17 and you're looking for other people to make plays instead of guys just going out and doing it that's what the interesting thing about that chiefs team is it's like the playoff run they were down 21 they were down 28 at one point so in the super bowl when they were down as a fan and i assume in their locker room too in their sideline they're like ah, i've been here before hey we have been here literally two weeks ago this is not a big deal that is a very powerful feeling to have as a team like hey we, this is nothing to us we know it they know it the fans know it that is a powerful thing to rely on whenever you fall into one of those situations I think teams, too. Don't you think players and coaches thrive on being the underdog? Oh, on yeah. feeling like, hey, nobody gives us the respect that we deserve. It's what Bill Belichick's been drumming up in New England forever. Like, oh, nobody thinks we're good. I'm going to pump up the other team no matter what, and I'm going to create like uh, adversity for my team, basically. That's like what Nick Saban has to do in Alabama. What do you say? It's rat poison if you read the, the good press about you or something like that? The, the thing that I like is whenever you're down a bunch and then you come back and win, that celebration afterwards is much larger i couldn't i don't know how the kansas city boys stayed sober enough after those wins you're down 28 you come back down 21 you come back i don't know how that celebration doesn't carry into next week I and mean, that's why they're pros and that's why i wouldn't have been able to handle it well sometimes too like if you haven't been in that situation say you're in the playoffs and you know hey we win we move on we lose everything comes to a screeching halt like it's an absolutely horrendous feeling it's terrible losing a playoff game let alone like nfc championship afc championship but I feel like you, I don't know, when you've been through that, and the more times you've been through that, it helps your team as a whole. And your coach is like, you, you build confidence doing that. And you're not, it's not just like the unknown. You don't get in the biggest game of your life and be like, okay, well, we've never been here before. What do we do now? Should we all just freak out and panic and yell? That's usually what happens to bad teams. So, yeah, not being able to handle adversity is a big deal. So whenever we would go into a bowl game in college, I knew that coming out of that game, all I was going to think about for the entire offseason was how I kicked the ball in that bowl game, right? Then, you know, at the end of uh, the NFL, whenever you're in playoffs, however you performed in that last game is what you're going to think about for the entire offseason. If you're that Green Bay Packers defense that gave up 186 yards rushing before contact, what is the taste in your mouth the entire offseason? It had to be – that has to be a, a motivator. That has to be a driving factor and potentially quite a disappointing taste because it was a hell of a run by that defense too this year. Hell of a thing. But that is something you have to think about, I assume, moving forward. Yeah, and, and they played well for big chunks of the season. Their defense really did. They, they, they were much improved, I feel like. So to – lay an egg on the biggest stage sure. one game away from the Super Bowl. That sticks with you, and it's like, okay, all of this great work that we did throughout the season almost doesn't feel like it means anything, but it does. you got to find a way to take some positives from that, but you're going to have to watch that NFC Championship game a million times in the offseason. I'm sure they've watched it in their Zoom meetings with their coach. Oh. It's not only does it feel terrible when you give up that many yards rushing as a defense, but then to continue to watch it over and over again to try to correct your mistakes just makes it that much worse. Well, that laser pointer. 
that laser pointer where it's like, you know, you took an eighth of a step to your left right here. If you would have taken an eighth of a step to the right, look what happens. Look, that hole's covered. Then look, look what happened. Now he doesn't have to make up for you. Now that there's 75 yards right there. If you don't take an eighth, that's what film breakdown is for football, by the way. Uh, it, it, I was mind blown the first time I sat in like an actual position meeting. And when I sat in and watched, because for me, it's see ball, hit ball. We can work on your drop. We're talking about like minuscule, like drop, do this. But whenever they're talking about for DBs, for D linemen, for anything, they literally show in like an eighth of a step. Like, hey, if you take away that, that just that little inch of a nudge there, boom, now we're, we're perfectly set up. And every single breath you take is basically getting completely broken down. And I would assume that Packers defense watching that 49ers film, if I'm, if I'm potentially the Packers D coordinator or defensive player, I'm asking them just to burn that film and act like it didn't happen. I cannot go through it because there's probably four to five plays where there's probably one to two players that did one thing wrong and boom, there's 50, there's 70, there's 80 yards. And it's just like, if we take back these three, that's always the conversation. If we take back these three plays, which if we dive in deeper, if you take back this step right here, our team's probably in the Super Bowl. And it's like, well, fucking thanks, all right? <laughs> this, this is really good news. Like, that is how film study is, though. It's a real, like, accountability session in the NFL film room. I, it's... That's tough stuff. I, I don't know how the confidence stays high in there. I honestly but the chain reaction. I think you described it well. Like, so say a DB goes off script and wants to do something that he's not really coached to do, and he takes one step. He takes a little. Let's say he's on press coverage on a, on a guy like one of their stud receivers on a big third down. He takes a, a little stutter step or something that that's not his technique. He hasn't done it all year, but he was trying to freelance a little bit, or he just lost focus or he was tired. Coach will show that. Show how he gets beat just by a split second. Like, okay, look, then he gets on top of you a little quicker than normal. Oh, hey, look at our two edge rushers right here, both applying a ton of pressure. Oh, wait, as the quarterback is releasing the ball, our guy is hitting him, but the ball was still able to get there in the right trajectory, and it was completed touchdown or whatever, big third down conversion. They say, if you don't take that one little three-inch step, none of this happens. We possibly have a sack, trip sack, Touchdown the other way. Oh. Touchdown. And we win the game and we're going to the Super Bowl or we won the Super Bowl. So, guys, make sure you play your technique. And that corner's just in there like, son of a fucking bitch. <laughs> I was tired. Look at other guys. Look at these guys' steps. What about them? Are they watching film like a week after their game if they lose in the playoffs? No. Like how much time do they have off? Next year. Next offseason. You don't come back. Well, you could the next day possibly you could come in, but you're not going to meet as a whole team and watch it right after the season. The iPad's getting loaded up for the – plane ride home were the new thing there at the end of the oh. end of my career and that was kind of fun to watch because you, you'd kind of listen to everybody watch film together and you'd hear reactions for people and then somebody would get summoned to the back of the plane <laughs> like what the hell were you doing here but i don't i think after that game i would assume a lot of guys are just kind of putting their ipads in their bags okay let's go ahead and put that away <laughs> get that up let's go ahead and put the backpack on Let's find uh, whatever Xanax we can possibly find. Let's get on this plane and let's go right to sleep till we get to wherever the fuck we're heading and not talk about this for six, seven months. And that I would assume that is the case. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, for a lot of people, I think it is. You got to confront it at some point. You need to watch it and see what you did to try to learn from it. But man, it's not easy. After the Super Bowl, we were flying from Miami back to Indianapolis. Was this the next day? So you guys... Had to stay stay the night after you lost the Super Bowl and get up in the morning and leave. That would be brutal. There was a party set up. So there was a party set up, right? Because remember when 
Remember when Gronk got a bunch of heat because he yep. went to the Super Bowl party when they lost and he was dancing? Yeah, so there was a Super Bowl party that still happened in our hotel. Now, Ursay was supposed to perform at this thing. There was also, they had this entire thing set up. And obviously, every player gets back there. They're miserable. I was like, hey, guys, we'll be back next year. What are we so sad about? But still, so the party was just completely dead. But then you go up in your hotel. You kind of bounce around room to room. You know, you say goodbye to everybody or whatever. And on a flight back, it was, it was kind of a... I don't want to say a miserable flight back, but it was. I mean, it was kind of a, a culmination of, hey, this year was a hell of a year. This was a special year. I mean, this was a very – and it's come to an end, and there was a lot of sleeping or whatever. And I think this is when Robert Mathis potentially gained a lot of respect from me. I was passed out on a plane, okay, because I got a little intoxicated in my room. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just passed out or whatever. And I get, like, shook, woke up, and it's Robert Mathis holding a pillow. And he just – he hits me right in the face with it, okay, and I just, like, I took it. I just took it, and I looked at him, and I was like, good morning or whatever. And he was like, oh, so you're not a bitch. And I was like, no. He's like, okay, my man. And then, like, we just had a full conversation. I assumed that he thought I was potentially going to get, like, scared or whatever, but I was literally so hungover. I, like, just opened my eyes, and he just hit me with a pillow, and I was like, ah, good morning, Mr. Mathis. You know what I mean? And I think that was a moment he potentially gained respect for me. But I remember that plane ride just being a very quiet one, like the deadest plane we've been on all year. I mean, granted, we won every single game that we tried to win. It was just – that's a sad situation, man. That, that I couldn't even fathom those Packers players, dude. That's a long flight home, too, after from yeah. San Francisco. That's a long way home. Let alone San Francisco, that thing's actually in Santa Clara, so you could probably got to yeah. drive like another hour to get to the thing. Oh, Going from warm to cold, going back up to oh, a, oh, a Green oh. Bay winter. No thanks. Then it, oh, man. I couldn't even imagine the fans. Obviously, you guys were pumped, but those players were just had to be miserable. Well, I, I think about, too, the year they uh, got beat by the Seahawks in the NFC Championship, and it was like a, a botched onside kick that they missed. Like, Packers mm. should have won that game. It went to overtime time they lose then have to fly back from seattle like that would be well that one guy wasn't supposed to go for it, right yeah he, bostic it wasn't his my last that was my last game in green bay yeah, I was yeah. On oh ty thanks for bringing it up oh, AJ, oh, ty. AJ, ty. I, I was gonna say something about it yeah I, i've been there on that plane it's not a lot of fun. yeah i figured you were that poor guy too bostic what do you do headphones on just sit by himself put a, a blanket over his head i'm not sure what he did on the plane i mean i remember seeing him in the, the locker room and guys trying to like console him and be like hey man it's not just on you and it's obviously not just on him yeah that that's kind of the misconception in team sports is that you know you can kind of point to one particular thing that maybe lost the game but the, if you're on a team ever your thought is yeah but it, it that isn't anything if we do this at this situation it's like that's why team sports are so beautiful but boy those are there are those moments where you know, kind of gets pinned on one person. That person feels it, by the way. It's not just the fans that are saying it. That person is is also sitting there, oh, my God, this is 100% on me. I feel like a terrible fucking person. And those flights home got to be tough. Let's talk about Brandon Brooks tearing his Achilles for the Philadelphia Eagles. Guard, he was rated the top offensive lineman by Pro Football Focus last year. Three-time Pro Bowler, superstar offensive lineman next to Kelsey there. He tears his Achilles. He's out indefinitely. The Philadelphia Eagles, known to be the luckiest team in the NFL, strike gold once again with losing the best offensive lineman in football, says Pro Football Focus. What a sad situation here during a quarantine month out from camp. This is a wild situation for the Eagles to have to deal with. Yeah, terrible, terrible luck for him. I know he tore his other Achilles a couple years ago, too, and came back this past season and had a heck of a year again. But, I mean, offensive linemen, especially guards, unless you're like a diehard Philly fan, most people don't know how valuable he truly is to that team. But, man, 
He is a stud, absolute stud. The communication, everything about it, what he does, like how, how well he works with Kelsey and the other guys. So whoever steps in, obviously it's a big job, big shoes to fill. But yeah, yeah, I feel for the dude. I feel for Brandon and, and Philly. I mean, the, the coaching staff, everybody there. You got to figure out, figure this out now, how to jumble an offensive line together, bring a, a replacement in there, whoever's going to step in and take that gig. But you're not going to have the time you normally have to kind of work together and try to build that unit. I think a good move would be put Jalen Hurts there. That's why you bring in Jalen Hurts, right? You just mm-hmm. put him at left guard. It's not a bad idea. That's why you draft like that. Maybe. Guy can squat 700 pounds, 800 pounds. Run the fumble rooski with him. Yeah, it was a little tuck and go there. You know what I mean? That is tough for the Eagles fans. That is, I mean, that is a kick in. I mean, it's not as tough as your franchise quarterback retiring eight days before the season, (laughs) but a month out losing the best offensive lineman in football is definitely difficult. And I would assume if you talk to Eagles fans, they're like, of course, of course, of course. That's what's next. Carson Wentz is going to throw out his elbow. I mean, this is just the way it goes. But the name of the game in football is health. It really is. You can guess what team's going to be great, like the Buccaneers. We think the Buccaneers are going to be good. Let them lose two offensive linemen all of a sudden, and all of a sudden Tom Brady's getting – you have no chance. The health factor of football is so real. It's who's healthiest, who's hottest at the end of the season. That's who's going to make a run. And that's why the Patriots dynasty is so impressive because you've seen a lot of great teams get injured at the wrong time, and they're gone from contention because you lose a couple players with your salary cap the way it's set up. That could potentially take out a quarter of your team's investment you're done for. Philadelphia Eagles lose a missing, a massive piece in this whole thing. That's a big deal. Yeah, and the, the Patriots, I guess what's even more impressive about their run of dominance is that every year they're doing it, like their roster looks drastically different from the year before, I feel like. like yep. So many different guys have been plugged in there on offense and defense, and they still seem to always be in contention to win it all. It makes no sense, dude. And I would assume if I was a football coach, I would coach like Belichick, if I had to guess, where each game you would have your own game plan just because I think I'd get bored. I I think I'd get bored if I if I coach, hey, this is what we're running every single week. We're going to do this. I think I would get bored. I think I would have too much ADD. But the fact that he figures out and it's not just him obviously it's his staff and ernie his kid and and the big guy upstairs ernie and and probably the bigger guy that's upstairs or woman i'm I'm gonna be sexist i don't know i don't know who's doing the things but whenever they piece together the roster that they have who they're playing against and then they change the game plan week in and week out that is something that i think we should see more teams do and i'm surprised more teams don't do but that is why the belichick team is always potentially going to be good because he says we play to our strengths and then we take advantage of their weaknesses every single week it doesn't matter who we have it doesn't matter what they have going on that is what we're going to take advantage it's art of war it's art of war and that is what bill belichick has done thoroughly throughout his entire run it's even as short as quarter to quarter like if one guy's having a good game then he'll just mix it up in the second quarter he'll just okay whatever we did in the first completely gone let's do this and that's why you're seeing ghosts if you're sam darnold because you're like okay i figured out this fucking defense finally yeah and then i'm in the second quarter okay i figured it out all in first quarter and then it's like wait a minute this is an entirely different this isn't how do you guys have five game plans for each game how does it happen it doesn't make any sense that's why you can't count out the patriots but boy if stidham's if Stidham gets a little bit of throw to the other team, Nathan Peterman disease oh. could be tough. Have you seen this waiver that SMU sent out to all their players? I was just going to ask you. I'd like to see the waiver. Okay, I think we have a picture of it. Do we have a picture of it? No, we do not have a picture of it. Zoom in on this bad boy right here. So this, this one right here. Zoom in on this. 
This is the waiver that SMU sent to all of their student athletes, okay? <laughs> Look at this thing. They got to read through all that, initial it, sign it, the whole thing, basically stating, I understand that I could get COVID-19 if I work out around other people and I am freeing SMU of any blame if I acquire the COVID-19. It is a two-pager here. This is, a, wait, nope, that's not it. Nope, this is it right here. This is all it is <laughs> right here. Pretty thorough, pretty in-depth, and I would assume that just like we started seeing on the back of tickets and whenever you purchase tickets online, this is gonna be the new normal for everybody. Hey, if you wanna go in public, you wanna eat food, there's a chance that you are gonna end up with COVID-19 and we don't want you to fucking sue us for it. SMU's getting in front of it. Ohio State was doing the waivers. Now ticketing companies are starting to do it. This is what the new normal is gonna be. And to be honest, it is pretty thorough. I mean, you gotta initial this thing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. You got to put your name on there one, two, three times, sign it twice. I mean, it's a pretty thorough document here, basically saying, hey, I might get COVID-19, but I ain't going to take down SMU for it. Well, I, I assume this is normal for every school and, and every NFL team that goes back to work and, and whatever sport may be, even at whatever job you may go back into the office if you're not back there yet. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to do this. I would imagine every corporation is going to protect themselves. It's like some teams that make you sign a waiver about Toradol. Like if you're going to get a Toradol shot before games or whatever, sign this waiver to say you're not going to sue us 20 years down the road. I didn't have to sign that, but I would have. Left-handed and right-handed. <laughs> can, uh, can left-handed me get another Toradol shot and right-handed me get another Toradol? <laughs> can I sign twice for this thing? It was – I can't believe – Do you think they tell these players, like, hey, take this, read it over, like with your parents or someone you trust or a lawyer? Do you think they're telling kids that? Dude. Yeah. I cannot believe you played an entire career, Super Bowl champion career, and didn't take Toradol. I didn't know that was possible. I had no idea that was possible in the NFL for a guy what? to become a veteran and not take Toradol. If you play in Green Bay, man, they don't give him. And Cincinnati probably doesn't have enough money to have him, right? I mean, they're they, probably... they had him. Did you take it? No, I didn't. I never got one. Why? Why would you not? Um, I thought about it a few times. I definitely oh. did. I rolled an ankle really bad or bad bone bruise on my knee or something i wanted to i just never did i don't know that's so impressive to me because as soon as i was offered it i tried it and i was like well don't think i'm ever gonna play a game without this again <laughs> and that was that was early and i was like year three or whatever i think i had like uh, i tore my meniscus in my knee or something and it was week 11 so i had some time left in the season it wasn't enough to take me down but it was a nuisance you know like a torn meniscus is a nuisance that's a that's all it is your your leg will lock up it'll feel like you're getting stabbed obviously both aj and i have he probably has no meniscus left i'm not sure i have any left either but it is a pain in the ass when it initially happens and then they, they were like oh you should try some tortles i forget who said it somebody said try some tortles i was like i don't know if i want to get into that right because i saw older guys that just it, there was a line like out the door for tour coaches were there scouts were there like the amount of people that were trying to get turtle was just this line i was like i don't know if i want to get into that and then somebody was like you should try it and then i gave it a go and my whole body just got this warm sensation and i didn't even know i had a meniscus or if it was torn <laughs> i felt like i was the fastest i've ever been i felt like i could jump higher than i could ever jump and the ball was just flying off my foot with no warm-up i'm like this is cheating. I'm cool with it. Everybody else is doing it. I'm going to take this every single game. The fact that you didn't is insane to me. Is this going to take me down eventually? You think Toradol is going to be the one that gets me? No, that's definitely not. you got plenty of other things that are going to come grab and pull <laughs> oh, you. Oh, jeez. What the hell you does down. that mean? But, 
listening to you describe it makes me kind of regret that I never did. I, I, this is how I described it. If you were a chef, okay, I'm a professional chef, I have restaurants. And somebody showed up at my restaurant and said, hey, here's an ingredient that you can put on every single meal that'll make it taste better for everybody. If you were a chef, would you use it? Yeah. Bingo. That's what Toradol is for. <laughs> here's, here's an ingredient that'll make every single part of your body feel better if, if you use it. Do you want to use it? Yep, I do. Okay, that's what it is. That's why whenever the whole thing started happening with the NFL and the NFLPA where they're thinking about banning Tordal for the sake of safety, which, by the way, probably accurate. I don't know what the long-term studies are. I'm going to stay ignorant to those because I don't want to know. But that, that was whenever the NFLPA came out and was like, hey, listen, you guys can do what you need to do with the rules and we can change these helmets and all that shit, but do not touch the Tordal. Just you cannot... You cannot get rid of the Toradol. And then that's probably when I assume Green Bay instituted the ban even more whenever that whole conversation popped up. No, I think Green Bay stopped a long time ago. I don't know how the, you guys the, have any the success. Main doc, the main doc there, Doc McKenzie, told me a long time ago that he hadn't given a Toradol shot in years. That's why you guys give up 186 yards uh, in the okay. playoffs, NFC Championship game. Bodies are tired, bodies are sore. San Francisco 49ers are out there like, dee, 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 dee. Ah, ah, ah. broken shoulder, not today. Here we go. Bam, 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 bam. And the, the Packers players are like, Ugh, dragging their legs out there. Uh, All right, let's get a two hour warm up out here so my joints can move a little bit. I mean, that's potentially a reason why the Packers lose. Not talked about enough. Not talked because. How long does it last? Uh, it's like 28 hours or something. You, oh. you feel it the next day. Like, you feel mut meniscus the next day, whenever that was going on. Oh, so much. I, I like almost buckled, like, whenever you – the neck coming off of it is definitely a nightmare. But if you need it for a certain activity, boy, it gets – Is it addictive? Like, are there were there guys who, like, needed it more than, like, the team could give it out? No, I don't think guys want to use it on a day-to-day. -day. Like, I don't think there was anybody that was like, I need this on a day-to-day -day basis. But, like, watching the coaches get in line for it was – that was kind of comical. I'm like, oh, you guys are going to coach your fucking asses off out there today. Yeah, you are, yeah. Don't want to hold you back. Addictive or not, but they're not going to give it out for practice, I would imagine. But there's definitely guys that once they start getting it, they're not going to play a game without it. Yeah, I, bingo. I was one of them. Because there was a couple of years where I was probably my most healthy I'd ever been. Like talking about off-season nutrition and working out and feeling good. And then it came to game day, and I might have had – you know, maybe something up or whatever, and I was like, I am definitely getting a tour. Like, I am one million percent going to get a tour right now. And they're like, well, you don't need it, Pat. I'm like, who says, says who? <laughs> says, well, I'm a medical professional. I'm like, well, I'm gonna bend over. I just want you to shoot right in my ass. Right now. Let's, <laughs> let's get this thing started. It was, it was next level. And I don't, I don't sound like I'm promoting a drug too much, but oh, no, no. if you get an opportunity to get the tour and, and you're in a situation where you need it. Say yes. Just say yes. Put There's Toradol pills, though, right? The, the pills don't do nearly what infection does, does it? Well, and I don't think the pill, all the pill stuff, that kills your liver. Your liver and shit. I'm always scared about the pill stuff. I, I've always been very scared about the pill stuff because I feel like that, because I drank so much, I feel like my shit's already ruined. So, like, I'm not trying to send in more stuff. So, I, you I just stopped pretty early. Like, you, not that you're sober or anything, but you stopped, like, that heavy binge drinking pretty early in your life. I wish I would have stopped about four years earlier, to be honest. But we're going to find out in the back end how much that really affected me. We're going to find <laughs> back end. Ugh, fuck. I mean, just hey, 100 shots a night. Imagine, imagine doing that. I don't know how I did it. I have no idea how I did it. And became a professional athlete. <laughs> uh, 
Hey, why does um, Jesus? I know uh, Jeter came in and basically was a part of the group that bought the Marlins, right? And yeah, for five hundred million dollars too much, pushed Samson out, yeah. right? Yeah. So why does Jeter dislike him so much? Um, I mean, we just talked to him what for fifteen minutes. You probably see why. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people around the Miami area <laughs> like him. What's that, dude? A lot of people around Miami do not like what he did to the team. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot. I saw a lot of tweets. I saw a lot of tweets in response to his tweets, which is why I wanted to talk to him even more, mm-hmm. by the way. Just because I think he does not care if anybody likes him. And that's probably something, if you're coming in to buy a team, the person that's running it, like, I'm going to pick somebody that would at least want me to enjoy what they're doing if they're going to run the team that I just bought. I don't think Samson gives a single fuck about anybody's opinion at all. At all. And I love it. I absolutely love it. But I'm not going to have him be a president of a team that I run because it's like, yo, I would like you to care a little bit about what the public thinks or what I think or maybe not just completely sabotage a guy's career because we don't want to pay him. I mean, the things he was saying to us, you could see why Jeter potentially doesn't like the guy. I mean, it was, but I, I want to talk to that guy right now. I want to talk to him again. He's a scumbag, and he knows it. It's kind of refreshing. <laughs> I did call him a scumbag to his face whenever he was talking. I mean, it's not normal. You call somebody a scumbag right to their face, and they're like. He laughed. Yeah, you think I invented that? Yeah. Also, his uh, stepdad is Jeffrey Loria, who is one of the most hated owners of all time. Who? His stepdad or father-in-law? Father-in-law, I believe. Not stepdad. You're right. Stepdad. Is it stepdad? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I guess he's got a couple Rico charges against him. That guy does. Ah, oh. yeah, I mean, Samson's our Samson's our guy for sure. But boy, you could see how people would potentially not like him. Did anything come of that? I, I read a little bit about that, like the Rico charges. Did they? I don't just think so. Charged or they acquitted? What happened? I think there was a settlement, possibly, is what the expos when he sold the expos. Oh no. And uh, Samson also has that going against him. Like nobody likes like legacies coming up and trying to run the team and do like. When your stepdad has all this cash and has high, it has a bunch of power. Like it's already, you're already fighting an uphill battle if you're his kid or his stepkid. Yeah, it, well, that's because you are, you don't have an uphill battle in real life. So that's no, why you have an uphill. public perception in yeah. what you're, if you have a public job, especially. Very easy to hate somebody that has been given, in a lot of people's eyes, a head start in life. Which, by the way, a lot going on in the world that we're in currently is because of the head start that different people have on life. But whenever you're at that level, it's like, uh, you know what? And especially if you just own the fact that you're a savage and don't care. I mean, and that David yeah. Sam, I enjoyed him. I loved the conversation yeah. with the guy. I, I very much enjoyed it. He got a little Jerry Krause feel there in the photo. I would assume Jeter knows how he is from when he was playing, too. You know, like if he's that that open about doing that stuff with players, like I'm sure Jeter knew that when he was a player. Like I would like that guy to talk baseball more, by the way. I would like David Sampson to potentially get a little bit more spotlight just so I can hear what the fuck comes out of that guy's mouth. I feel like he has stories and he's ready to tell them. Ready to go. Jet Passon's next book. Maybe he does it on, you know, Big Dave Samson. Should have asked him how he feels about Jet Passon. That oh, oh that's a missed yeah. opportunity. Hey, so, reach back out to him. We'll get him, let's get him on next week sometime. Call him back, Z. Let's see. <laughs> I'm gonna send him a DM. So yeah. You had Jet Passon Passon on earlier today, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Euclid Euclid just sent me a message and said, "Why are you talking to David?" <laughs> <laughs> you want to come on right now? What? I don't know if I could read this exact message. I can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah you, you probably can FaceTime not. FaceTime him and see if you'll say it. Uh, 
You want to come on? <laughs> he, I, he seemed, I, uh, I called him a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> I called him a scumbag, Yuke. Yuke <laughs> just asked why we were talking to him. That's, that's all he asked. I thought that guy should be the next baseball commissioner. Whoa. He made a lot of good points. There's no way that that guy might. He would have some. <laughs> if he was on that return to sports representing baseball. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're scumbags. Tony Clark. Tony Clark. I, I tried to talk to him nine days. The guy won't fucking talk to me. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Jared Jeter's paying too much money for hell. I mean, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to make these deals happen. These players stink. What do you want? Samson was <laughs> wide open. You think Jeter, um, does Jeter regret buying into the Marlins and running, running the team now? Nah. You don't think? I mean, he went from – he's like the most beloved character ever to play baseball, it seemed like, to now. Hey, dude. Catch oh, the lot. There's a lot of people talking – I just checked Twitter for the first time. Shout out Nick posted these. There's a lot of media people tweeting about what he said about how the media is manipulated for these things. The, David Sampson just came on our show, caused a shitstorm, <laughs> and got out. And I think that's exactly how he likes it. I oh, think yeah. <laughs> yeah. arrived, let me cause some chaos, and then let me get the hell out of here. Little Samson shuffle. I didn't see the whole. I didn't see what video. Did you put me calling him a scumbag in this video? Uh, I don't know if it's in there or not. Oh, uh, Nick, Nick, oh we, Nick, we have to show that we are on the side <laughs> against this son of a bitch. This is probably why I'm getting messages from you. Yeah, it's a long video, so you, it might be in there. Might be in there. Whenever he said it, I, I tried to give a. So yesterday, I was talking to Rick Buecher on the show. And Rick Buecher said some things that I wanted to interrupt and be like, well, that's just not the fucking right way to say what you just said there, right? I'm in an interesting spot. Like what? I, give an example, though. Like, I don't know. It was like just the tone. It was the way It was the way things, I don't know. It just, it felt, Rick Buecher gave us a great interview, a good conversation. I learned a lot about it. But there was a couple things he said with tone where I was like, it doesn't feel like that's the right way to say what you say. And I don't know what the proper move is. Because I want to be, as a host, I want to give somebody a chance to say and speak. I don't like cutting people off when they're talking, giving an answer on the show. I like them to do what they got to do. And I like people to think that they've enjoyed their time on the show and they were giving a fair time. But there's sometimes when people say something where I'm like, well, I got to fuck. I mean, like for instance, when Samson said, uh, there were some players that we floated out things that they were bad in the locker room because we didn't want to pay them or whatever. I did like, I, my first thing I did was a like, I just want people to know that me and AJ, the, the opinions of guests do not reflect that of the host. And I think that can sometimes get a little bit construed on the internet. There's just things I'd like to state this. Good news. At a minute 30, you do call him a scumbag. So <laughs> hey, boy. Check that from the fucking minutes. I like that. <clears throat> AJ, I got good poop, to be honest with you. Been <laughs> you a good do. show, though. Yeah, it has. It always it kind of revolves around your, your grumpy schedule. I have an active bladder, and I don't know if it's healthy or not. I've seen some commercials on the Internet telling me that it's not healthy how active my bladder is, but then I see some scientists that say that it is healthy. So I'm just mm. going to keep on shitting until I die. If you're not mm. shitting blood, you're good. Mm -hmm. Your I, bladder? Or even, your if you, even if you are, it's still all right. Probably. I do look at my poop. I, I do not poop blood, but the other yeah, day. I do it all the time. The other day, my entire butthole almost fell out. It, it was a real problem. <laughs> well, I, Thought I had to get in the toilet and dig it out. Honestly, I felt that's why I felt like I had to walk like this because it was a <laughs> bad day. Are you on a big like new like nutrition kick? Is that what? It was pineapple. Hey, uh, I got uh, I got into this fruit kick because I was going to be healthy, you know. And I was like, I'll eat fruit. I'll eat fruit. I'll be super. Healthy. And then 3 a.m. I get woken up on my stomach, just being like, Why are we healthy? And then I just sat on the toilet for probably the next I don't know nine of the next 12 hours. 
Turns out the butthole couldn't hold in anymore. Just kind of gave up. So I had a quite a day, quite a 72 hours, but we're back at it. And now just standard poops are happening now. Just standard poops are happening. <laughs> it's a big poop show. Big, poop. big, poop big show. Love, poop love pooping. Show. I'm sure Samson will, Samson will be happy that he put his name on this and came on the big poop show. I mean, he looks, I'm watching this video down here. It's just kind of plain. <laughs> he looks so spectacular with that beard. The suit, he's got a sport coat on, and then the things that he's saying is just stirring the pot right there. Oh, what a life. This I love is, that he didn't, ha he didn't, ha it didn't take any like butter. You'd have to butter him up. You'd have to warm up. He came out from the jump, like ready. We should talk to that guy again. People <laughs> yeah. aren't going to be happy. People are not going to be happy that we're talking to him again. And I think that's how we're going to lead off. Be a weekly staple. I think I'm going to lead off with David. I'm going to let you know a lot of people not happy we're having you on the show again, but I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. I, I cannot wait. Survivor never even came up either. Yeah, we haven't. He was on Survivor. Was it like a celebrity Survivor? Who else was on the show with him? He was the first one off. Jo Joanna. Hey, Johanna. The tribe spoke quick. <laughs> <laughs> Get him the fuck out. <laughs> Joanna, who's Joanna? Uh, Joanna Man. Hey, great movie. Good, good film. All right, I'm out of here. See ya. Good show, AJ. AJ, good show. Yeah, you too. AJ, you did really good today. AJ, good work today. Ready to take a dump? Yeah, I'm gonna poop. Because you drink all that weird tea. So sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you about the greatest shorts to ever exist. Okay, everybody knows I got big thighs. Skies out, thighs out. Quad father, all these things. So finding shorts is not easy. It's not easy to find shorts that fit. It's not easy to find things that are comfortable and move with me and have the liner inside that acts as boxer briefs, but is even more comfortable because it's not actually a part of the... You get it. It is bird dogs. Bird dogs are gym shorts with a built-in silky soft inner liner that makes underwear obsolete. Ha! Obsolete! They also make the best pants that I've ever worn. When you put these shorts on, you're going to be like, hey, I understand way back in the day, way back in the day, they tried to make the bathing suits that had the thing that held your kit and caboodle together. They were trying to eliminate underwear so you didn't have to get your underwear wet when you jumped in the pool. Well, bird dogs came along, revolutionized it, and made the most comfortable thing ever. You don't have to put on underwear, and you can wear these shorts in the gym. You can wear them in the pool, and you can even wear them to an office meeting if you have to. They look damn good, and the pants are fantastic as well. Right now, you go to birddogs.com and enter promo code PAT, and they'll throw in a free pair of nunchucks. Yep, you heard it, nunchucks. You'll get an actual murder weapon along with your pair of bird dogs. That's birddogs.com, promo code PAT, and boom, free pair of nunchucks with your pair of bird dogs. You will not take these things off, I promise you. They are fantastic. I worked out in them today. I'll sleep in a pair tonight. You'll enjoy the hell out of them. Birddogs.com, promo code PAT. You get a free pair of nunchucks. Hoi! Ladies and gentlemen, in front of the show, Jet Pass. Yeah, yeah. Jet! Woo! 
Oh, boy, Jet. 757. Woo! Jet, big pop from the boys today. This is a big baseball day. Big Jeff passing day. You were on Scott Van Pelt last night. You were on that Sports Center special. You had a new column out this morning. Not a lot of sleeping for Jet passing. It feels like you're the only person in the MLB or the MLBPA getting anything done, and I appreciate you joining us today. I am doing my best. I clearly am doing a garbage job, though, because here we are talking about how they're still not playing. So we're, there's going to be a day coming up at some point soon where we actually get to talk about baseball being back. It feels like you, last night we were texting, and I appreciate you always responding to me. You have the biggest brain in this whole thing, and I don't really know much about it, but you have always remained optimistic that there's going to be baseball. Even after last night, Rob Manfred put a foot in the mouth, caught a disaster, said he's not sure if there's going to be uh, a season. Then the players obviously came and said, just tell us when and where, because the players want more games, and Rob obviously just wants to delay and wants less games because he knows he has to pay him prorated salaries. Where do you see this whole thing landing you think they're going to play a season you think it's got 48 games like the mlb has wanted this whole time no because the problem with the 48 game season 50 game season somewhere in that vicinity is that mlb understands that it would have to delay so long that it would run the risk of a grievance going in the player's favor now the risk isn't all that great but uh, let, let's look at what risk analysis really is here Let's say that the players were to grieve for a billion dollars and that there's a 25% chance that they win. That's $250 million worth of risk that you as MLB are trying to put out there. And at this point, when teams are trying to scrimp and save every single dollar that they can, $250 million worth of risk simply is not worth it, especially when you can take that $250 million Give it to the actual players and get more games played, which is the optimal outcome for everybody involved. So How that's that's a big part of the reason why I think that they're going to be back. And it's not going to be a great season. It's not going to be 100 games. It's probably not even going to be 81 games. But I think when it's all said and done, it's going to be somewhere in the range of 70. And you know what? I'll, I'll take a 70-game season at this point. Kevin Euclid said if it's not 80 games, let's not talk about it. But that was before the entire situation that has arose. I think a 70-game season would be one that I think the players would even say yes to. But at yeah. what point, in the, is it this week that they have to come to an agreement then for it to be a 70-game season? Or can they delay? another week or two to still fit in 70 games you know i i did the math on this and uh, i looked at five days six days from now there being an agreement then on top of that you got three weeks of spring training you got to travel i mean we're looking at like a mid-july start so let's say we have 10 12 days in july we have 31 days in august and we have 30 days in september I mean, that gives you 70 something days. You gotta have a day off every week, but to make up for those days off, you can have double headers. So the idea of them playing somewhere in that 70 game vicinity before going to the postseason is not far-fetched. Uh, the problem is every day without an agreement, Pat, you're just burning daylight and, and you're losing the chance to play another game, which is why the sense of urgency that should have been there for the last two months really needs to ramp up right now. The MLB and the MLBPA need to sit down, whether it is on a Zoom call or even in a room, and say, we're not leaving here until we have an agreement. 
But it's only getting worse, it feels like, their relationship. Last night, Rob Manfred, when he was talking to Greenberg, took like three shots at Tony Clark in the MLBPA. He was like, this weekend, we could have sat down and talked, but instead, uh, the head of the MLBPA was telling people that as soon as we make a season, they're going to have a grievance. So that's not... It feels like it's only getting uglier from a uh, reality TV drama-like situation. Then you see the players coming in. What is the word? Why are they keep revolving around good faith, bad faith? I feel like that is a term that is used for breach of contract. That is the only reason because you have to negotiate in good faith. So they're saying, well, they're in bad faith. They're in bad faith. Why does each side want there to be a breach of contract so bad? It feels like the MLB started this. Now the players have had to answer. Why is that such a big deal? It's a very good legal analysis by you. These letters that are going back and forth are essentially documents that are trying to show uh, just the way that this whole thing is evolving. And if there are, uh, if there are accusations of bad faith, MLB and the MLBPA want to say early on, we're not just bringing these accusations out here in an arbitration setting. We've been talking about them for weeks now. We're trying to get this on the record to show that this is a pattern. And so it's honestly, it's mostly saber rattling. I mean, to really, truly be negotiating in bad faith it's a pretty high standard threshold but it, this is just legal maneuvering at this point for the possibility of a grievance happening i i just i don't see one happening right now i think there are two outcomes for this i think one outcome is that there's a season you know somewhere between 65 and 75 games and i think the other is that there's no season at all and i think that both parties recognize if there's no season it is an unmitigated disaster for baseball. It is something that will have repercussions and ramifications a decade down the road. It is something that would end up with people losing their jobs, whether it is Rob Manfred or Tony Clark. Uh, like the, I think people at this point are as much in self-preservation mode as they are, hey, let's bring baseball back for the fans. Yeah, does and, Rob look, even know it, that though? Hold on though, Jeff. Jeff, does Rob takes, even know now, that? If it, takes, if it takes self-preservation to get baseball back on the field, fine with me. But go ahead, preserve yourself. Yeah, but that guy talking last night, Rob Manfred, it looked like he had no idea that if there was no no MLB season that it would be catastrophic to the sport. It looked like he did not care if there was a chance. It, it, it was just, I think the presentation of Rob Manfred was just as bad as the words that he was saying. I think everything was bad by that guy. It was a calculated um, tire fire. Like it was really, really bad. And I think the, I think the intent was to, to try and show that the players are not coming to the table and that they're not bargaining in good faith and how can we get back on the field if the players aren't willing to talk. What they didn't recognize was the power and simplicity of the statement that the MLBPA has been making over the last few days. Tell us when, tell us where. It is so beautiful and perfect and simple. And, you know, I think when you say something like that, the people listening tend to forget that the players are fighting for money here. That's what this fight has been about this entire time. And yet, if you're not thinking about the fact that it is something for money, if you're thinking all the players want to do is play, you're going to get on the player side because all you want the players to do is play. Jeff, there has never been... And I'm 33. I guess I've gone through two of these in my sport. But in other sports, you look back. There has never been a time where the fans 
are on the player's side of collective bargaining. It's un- it's unbelievable to see. And it's like, I, I wonder if it's, if it's part of a shift in society. Look, we have all kinds of societal shifts going on right now. And the notion that labor is making a comeback as... Uh, you know, corporations have been union busting for decades now it is a novel one and not one that I'm going to jump entirely on board with at this point, especially when that organized labor is in the form of people who are making more money than, uh, you know, the average person can possibly fathom. And yet it's the ideals for which they're standing that I think really resonate. We want to work. We want to do what we're great at. We want to do what we love. And any time a person hears that, that is a really strong message that I think, you know, goes across age, goes across race, goes across sex. Everyone has that feeling. If you have something you're passionate about, something that you love doing, and somebody is trying to stop you from doing that, that person is the one in the wrong, not you. In 2010, uh, when the CBA was uh, agreed to for the NFL, it was alleged that Jeff Saturday and Robert Kraft sat down and basically got Demory Smith out of the way and all the lawyers out of the way and a player and Robert Kraft sat down at the end of the day and were like, hey, let's get this thing done. Let's knock yep. this out. Is that something that the MLB is going to have to see where maybe some of these players who are all fired up are like, hey, listen, Tony Clark, we appreciate the hell out of you, but it has gotten to a point now where you are just going to war with this Manfred guy. We are not going anywhere for Forward, we're only going backwards do you see a time where potentially rob manfred and maybe tony clark kind of get cut out of the situation and it goes players to owners or are the owners 100 percent behind everything that rob manfred is saying because that is the job of a commissioner is to speak for the owners and be the bad guy i mean the owners have been driving rob manfred's uh, pack this entire time and the the criticism of him and i think it's fair is that while a commissioner's duty Uh, is to the owners, that's what his job is, it is also to the sport. And you have to be able and willing to stand up and fight for the integrity of the sport. And right now, baseball's integrity is in the toilet swirling around. It's embarrassing what's happened to the sport. You know when the commissioner, who has a hand in everything that is going on, calls it a disaster himself? I, I wrote this today, that is the worst cell phone you can imagine. It's a disaster, buddy, because you brought it there. <laughs> <laughs> Run that. It's just a disaster. Think about that. It's just a disaster. Like, I want to know dis- what Greenberg was thinking whenever that guy. Greenberg was probably like, I have to stop you right there. <laughs> you, you are half of it. By the way, they got a good shot of his Louboutin shoes. I don't know if you saw that when he was shooting behind the red bottoms. Oh, Greeny was in his full suit last night. That return to sports thing was awesome. You had a pretty large role in that whole thing. And by the way, in this entire thing, Jet Passon's name is directly linked to all of it. So if baseball gets canceled, I think there's a lot of people that <laughs> I think there are a lot of people that are potentially going to cancel old Jet Passon as well. I don't like it, but I'm just saying this is what people no, are saying. You, Patrick, you're going to make sure that that doesn't happen. You got juice, <laughs> you got sway, you got power. I listen, the the greatest thing that has happened in this totally awful year is the budding bromance between us. You're the best, <laughs> yeah. you're great. And and it has uh, it has been a very fruitful relationship so far, and I'm very appreciative of that. Jet, me too. I've enjoyed talking to you. I, I've started reading your book, The Arm, which you've been on our show 10 times, and a guy in this room didn't even know you were an author. I mean, so that's a little bit of a slap. see the corner That's a little bit of, of a TV. slap in the face from this I guy. can't see where it says. For sure, he's just slapping you right New in New York Times face. bestseller, though, that's... 
That's awesome. That's not the sneeze. How many did you buy yourself? How many of those books did you buy yourself? Too damn many. <laughs> That's why you got to get, you, you get yourself on the list. You don't spend four years working on a book only for it not to make the list. Like that's, you know, it's got to happen. Um, when do you think, like, are you getting updates currently from players and from, from the MLB? Do you think these conversations that seem to have come to a complete standstill get back rolling here in the moments and understanding the moment needs to happen now? Do you think that's going to continue to happen here in the next couple of days? Yeah, there, there are two courses of action that I think could take place. And this is just from talking with people around the game and saying, hey, when do you think this thing's going to get done? One of them is that over the next 72 hours, they're going to recognize that they need to put out this fire and that the only way to do it is to get an agreement in place quickly and get things rolling and change the narrative. I also think that there's the possibility that the players are feeling themselves right now, and they should be because they have handled this extraordinarily well because they are in the position of power at this point. And if they go back to Major League Baseball with an offer and say, you know, we're, we're ready to negotiate and we're going to stick with the 89 games that we suggested last time, that could slow things down a little. But, but if the Players Association goes back to MLB and says, you know what? We say we want to play and we understand the financial situation that you're in right now because everybody is being affected by this pandemic. Uh, let, let's go down to 80 games. If they're down somewhere in the range of like 80 to 84 games in, in a, an offer that they send over to the league, I think this thing can move quickly. And listen, I hope it does because I'm supposed, to go to I'm supposed to go to Wisconsin and hang out with my in-laws this weekend and drink beer by a, by a lake and go water skiing. And I really don't want to have to haul along my camera and bring it up to, uh, to the lake house. And make, no sure you, for that. make sure you have your suit and tie, too, for the big boy ESPN oh, stuff. You always got to be on. suited and booted. I, did, I, I don't travel anywhere without a suit and tie, Pat. You know that. The thought of you <laughs> shotgunning a beer on a lake in Wisconsin and then getting a text from Manford or something saying it's over and be like, oh, well, here we go. Let's go. It'd be like Anchorman from back in the day. Diggs, what do you got? Jed, is there any chance that Manford, like you just said, it needs to put out the fire, but is he making this fire? bigger because he doesn't want any focus on the uh, Yankees uh, cheating letter mm, scandal. A lot of people are saying this is a, this is all one big cover up to hide pinstripes uh, in their no. cheating allegations. Yep. No, we're not yeah. worried about that. I would I listen, I'm I am all about the conspiracy theory in sports. I love the frozen envelope. I love the MJ's outfit. I love all those different things. I think this is much ado about nothing. I think what the Yankees did was cheat. I think we know that, though. I think they cheated like the Red Sox did early whoa, on, whoa, before whoa, there whoa. were before there were uh, mandates in place from the league saying saying explicitly, "Do not use technology uh, in this fashion." I think the Yankees used the replay room, and I think they relayed signs to second base. And I think the same thing that happened to the Red Sox or that the Red Sox did, the Yankees were doing. I don't think this is some sort of grand giant conspiracy though like the the astros banging on a trash can i don't think it was at that level but the idea that the new york yankees weren't doing something is foolish and, well and i don't think anybody who knows anything believes that the yankees are completely innocent here i think what they did is just the equivalent of a misdemeanor whereas the astros we're committing felony after felony. Well, see, and people would say that you, because you're on ESPN, you're trying to cover up for the Yankees. <laughs> so if we, were oh, I get that. No, trust me, I get that. I get that from Houston. Every, I'm not trying to cover up anything. The Yankees did stuff. Like Mark Teixeira, uh, in a in a Joel Sherman column back in February, admitted to everything that they were doing at that point, and and it's it's wrong. And uh, if if there is a punishment that comes down on the Yankees for that, I think that it's totally reasonable, but. 
man, uh, I, I think one thing I do think about baseball is that it wants to get the cheating out of the uh, conversation, see, out I disagree. of the headlines. I totally <laughs> agree with that idea. I disagree, Jeff. Did you see that 30 for 30 long gone summer uh, just on Sunday night there on your network? Boy, when those barbarians were eating all of the steroids, baseball had <laughs> never been hotter. I mean, I, I completely forgot how big that was in 1998. Yep. I was 11 at the time, not nine, two years difference, but I was 11 at the time. And even I remember baseball. Do, the, is the dream of the MLB to hopefully one day get back to where they were in 1998? And do you ever see that happening? Absolutely, that's the dream. I mean, baseball was in the the national zeitgeist then, and it oh. has not it has not been there since. And and so to to have someone or something that thrusts it out front like that would would be the dream of every sports league. It's why the NBA is as popular as it is because it has characters who are compelling. Because LeBron James is is. LeBron James, to me, is the most incredible athlete of my lifetime, and that includes Michael Jordan. And here's why. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that LeBron James is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. I don't think he is. What I am saying is that LeBron James was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a teenager. He had all the pressure that people in Hollywood, when they're te- you know, kid actors face. And how many times does yeah. a kid actor come up and turn out not just to be like a reasonable human being, but, but somebody who is trying to actively change society with his platform, somebody who's trying to do good, someone who's a good father, someone who's a good husband, someone who's all of these things that LeBron James has, has become. It's incredible to me that that amount of pressure that he felt from a very young age, he has handled it, he has weathered it, and he has taken that little ball of clay that he was and molded it into something absolutely beautiful. Hey, that was a beautiful sentiment. And aside from Macaulay Culkin, I'm not sure anybody else has done it other than LeBron. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, the young phenom, the prodigy of baseball coverage for ESPN, Jeff Passon. We- yeah! And joining us now, a man who knows things about things, one of the voices of hockey, very handsome man, very intelligent man. Last time he was on, he agreed with me that Sidney Crosby is the greatest <laughs> hockey player on earth. Ladies and gentlemen, Pierre Maguire. Yeah, boy, Pat. Way to go. Pierre. Hogan is a true Penguin fan. Hey, Pierre, I don't want to misquote you. It was what you said, not me. Um... <laughs> Let's talk about Gary Bettman last night and the NHL. The, the NHL has been very smart with this. They, there was a, a leak of what a format would be if there was a 2014 tournament. Then Gary Bettman got on an NHL network and he said, hey, this is our roadmap to return. I think we talked after that about the roadmap to return. And last night, Gary Bettman talked to Greenberg, which basically was saying, hey, we are still all systems go. We're trying to figure out the finer details. What is the thought in your eyes, in the conversations you've heard about the NHL, NHL potentially taking advantage of this couple week period where it might not be any other leagues competing other than the MLS at that time? Well, first of all, we've had an amazing spirit of cooperation between the Players Association and the league, number one, Pat. Number two, the players in our league really do want to play. What they need to know is what they're actually playing for because they've been paid for the calendar season 2019-2020, so their paychecks are done. So that's one of the things they need to find out. Are they playing for a collective bargaining agreement that's got two years to run? 
or are they playing for bonus structure? What are they actually playing for? Who's going to cover their disability insurance if something happens with coronavirus? So there's still some pending issues, but the thing that I really admire is the problem-solving abilities of Commissioner Bettman, Bill Daly as deputy, and Donald Fear at the NHL Players Association. They've done a great job in terms of having huge communication. That's not normal. And I would assume because the paychecks have already been received, that conversation is going a lot smoother than in other sports. But has the conversation directed in the fashion that, hey, July 28th, NFL teams are reporting. July 31st, the NBA is supposed to happen. July 8th, the MLS is happening. But aside from that, in July, I think WNBA is also playing as well. No offense to WNBA. But I think there's some weeks there where the NHL could potentially captivate and draw some eyes that they don't normally get, especially in the time that we're coming out of this quarantine. Has that been a conversation or is there no real timeline set? Oh, no, that's definitely been part of the conversation, Pat. You're uh, right on top of it. And here's the one thing. We've got a hard date of July 10th, which we didn't have before. The last time you and I spoke, I said there's got to be a starting date. And finally, they came up with one July 10th. So I think that's really appropriate what you're saying. The other thing that's important for people to understand, we have seven teams in Canada. Six of those seven teams will be in this tournament, the 2014 tournament. Only one will miss, Ottawa. In Canada now, there's a 14-day quarantine period. So if a player, let's say there's an American-born player, I'll use Blake Wheeler as an example, a Minnesota guy who plays for the Winnipeg Jets. Let's just say he crossed the border, went back to Minnesota. Once he comes back to Canada, he's got a quarantine for 14 days. Now, that could be amended by the Canadian government and the provincial governments, but that's one of the issues, Pat, that they're trying to sort out right now. Okay, so everybody assumed that there's going to be two hub cities for this thing. I didn't even know that there was a chance to go back to Canada once they lock into this 2014 tournament. Las Vegas seems to be a lock. They have the most hotel rooms in America. They're ready to go. I think it's like 144,000 rooms or something. They are ready to be locked down. They have a good practice facility. They have a good arena. And the Golden Knights are in this thing, so I think that would be a big deal. Now, in the Eastern time zone, I think is what you told us last time is what they're looking at. Pittsburgh was a thought. Columbus seems to be a very hot spot because their practice facility is right across the street from their arena. Would teams, now Toronto, all depending upon that quarantine period that you just talked about, would teams be living in these cities full-time in hotels? for? So if this is in Columbus, would that 14-day quarantine in Canada even matter then because the teams are all locked in Columbus? No, what would matter would be is when teams come back for training camp, if they were to have training camps in their own facilities, before they could do that, Pat, they'd have to quarantine. But you're raising another really interesting issue. Let's just say it happens to be Toronto, the other pod city. Would the Canadian government force these players that are coming across the border, and let's just say the Eastern Conference is in Toronto rather than in Vegas, would they have to quarantine before they got on the ice? So this is part of the issue that people are trying to sort out right now. Well, the training camp, they're trying to put in at least two weeks for everybody for training camp. I feel like hockey is closer to three, Pat. So three-week training camp, then we get into the 2014 thing in two hubs. If the 14-day quarantine happens for those five or six Canada teams, that's what? They need five weeks then to be able to get in shape because they're going to be locked into their rooms at least until they get up there. There's a lot to still be figured out here. 100%, 100%, 100%, and that's why there's still – I talked to a couple players this morning. I was at a rink around Boston here where I am right now. I talked to a couple players. They say there's still a lot of things that have to be ironed out. But, again, I have to stress this for our fans, and I'm so glad that you have this opinion because it's a strong one and it resonates with the fans. It's an important one. Our league has really been at the forefront of this. I, I'm so proud of being in this league. I've been in this league over 30 years, 
And I'm so proud of the way Gary Bettman's handled things. I'm so proud of the way Donald Fierce handled things. The players have been phenomenal with it. The coaches, it's been great. It really, it, there's no perfect system, Pat. There's no perfect way to handle this. But I think we're as close to perfect as you can be. A lot of behind closed doors conversations, the drama isn't getting aired out. So the grievances that potentially players might have, whether it's health reasons or travel reasons, they're going through the, the channels that are happening behind closed doors with Bettman. And then whenever it, it seems like Bettman comes out, it's like, hey, okay, here we go. This is what we're going to try to do. But there's no foot-in-mouth situation like Rob Manfred. If that guy was your commissioner, I would assume you'd retire? Is that what you would do? You would stop I would come be your assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Good, thanks. Pierre, what type of teams and what teams have benefited most from this time off as far as injuries and, and players getting back on the ice that they were originally out for the year? That's a great question. For instance, Columbus gets Seth Jones back. That's a 26-minute-a-game player, so that's going to help them a lot on defense. Uh, I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins getting Jake Gensel back. He's a potential 50-goal scorer this year. That helps a lot with their internal chemistry. Um, I look at the Boston Bruins. They're a veteran team. But what I like about the Bruins is on every one of their defense tandems, they have a young guy who's an elite puck mover. So Charlie McAvoy was a Dano Chara. Oh. Uh, Matt Grizzlick, you know, you look at him oh, yeah. playing with Brandon Carlo. And then you look at – or, sorry, Tory Krug. And then you look at Matt Grizzlick playing deeper in the lineup with Steve Moore. They've got, they've got unbelievable depth on their defense, and I think the young legs will help them with the veteran presence. But I think Boston benefits too because their older guys got a bit of a rest. Pierre, who do you think is going to win the uh, COVID Cup, man? I'm right. Pat McAfee's pick. Penguins. You think Penguins are going to win? No. <laughs> I'm not picking Patrick. Pierre, you don't. You just said you don't. You said any team could win, but the Penguins. That's what you just said. That is what you just said right there, Pierre. That's unbelievable. Hey, there's a lot of hockey talk uh, surrounding the Buffalo Sabers right now. I I assumed that the Buffalo Sabers were in this 2014 tournament. I assumed Dominic Kashuk was going to have a hell of a show. (laughs) Turns out he's not on the team. Sabers aren't in a tournament, but they are making big news because one of their young players came out and said, "Like, hey, I'm tired of being a part of a losing organization." This morning, they fired their GM they move forward what is it going to be like what are the next steps for the Sabres to potentially get back into relevancy well they've, they've hired a former Buffalo Sabre uh, Kevin Adams who won the Stanley Cup at the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006 he's going to be their new general manager he's been around the Buffalo Sabres organization for a while right now three of the men at the top of the food chain in Buffalo got released to their duties Jason Bottrell a former assistant GM of Pittsburgh Randy Sexton the former uh, director of player personnel in Pittsburgh uh, and also Steve Greeley. So they fired the top of the food chain there. So big, significant changes in Buffalo, Pat. Are you ever thinking about getting back into the scout GM coach world? I told you I'm coming to be your assistant. <laughs> no, that's only if Rob Manfred makes his way over to the NHL. But that is something that happens in our world, in the in the football world. A lot of commentators, a lot of people that call the game, they kind of, you learn about everybody, right? So you're getting inside information from coaches. You're watching so many games. You're plugged in. You are more plugged into the NHL than most people. Even people that are in the league don't have to know as much about everybody. Has the thought ever been like, hey, I should get back into the scouting world, GM world, or do you enjoy doing what you do right I, now? I really really love working for NBC Sports, Pat. It's been unbelievable. My superiors there, Sam Flood and Mark Lazarus, have been tremendous people to work with. A lot of major breakthroughs have happened on our network because of the inside glass position that Sam Flood and Dick Ebersaw created about 15 years ago. It's been great. Um, I've got young children. They're very athletic. One's in college. One's about to go to college. So 
we'll see what happens down the road. But I, I, I kind of like what I do right now, Pat. Oh, yeah. Let's do it right down. June 16th. I'm going to write this down because I keep all my papers right here. <laughs> June 16th, Pierre hinted at hinted at returning to potential general manager team. Okay. Yep. Hinted at. Go ahead, Dix. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Uh, Pierre, if you could play the role of Gary Bettman as GM for one day, what what's something you would like to see implemented or changed amongst the league? Um, you know, Nick, that's a good question. One of the things I'd like to see probably is that uh, we got another team in Quebec. I think the, the Quebec market, if I could be the commissioner of the league for one day, that'd be something I'd really like to see happen because it would create unbelievable rivalries uh, in Canada. And the Quebec market, I, I think, is one of the best markets for hockey. They lost their team to Colorado. The Colorado Avalanche went on to win two Stanley Cups cool. after they left Quebec. But I, I'd like to see that happen, a team in Quebec. Oui, oui. So do you think they should have rather gone to Quebec rather than Seattle? No. No, I, I think going to Seattle is great. I think potentially if there ever had to be a franchise relocation, um, I'd like to see that team relocate to the Quebec market. Okay. Hey, Pierre, look at you, man. Making Look at this. Mm -hmm. He's a commissioner of the yep. league. Uh -huh. He's going to be a GM of the league. He's a dad. He's inside the glass. Pierre, you're having a hell of a performance. Today. I just want to go watch a football game with you, man. Hey, let's do it. Do you live in Boston full time? No, I'm in between Boston and Connecticut, so I'm I'm in a lot of places. Yeah, you might. For me, that might as well just be the same. <laughs> you're in the same. You're you're up there. You're upper right of America. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm on upper right, exactly. <laughs> so July 10th, you said that date. Is that for training camp, for games? What is that That's for? That's for training camp, Pat. That's for training camp. So right now they're doing free skate, open ice. Guys can go in and get workouts. Only six people can be on the ice. They have to be socially distanced. But then July 10th is when every team, assuming, is going to do training camp at their own place if they can figure out how Canada, how Canada gets past the quarantine thing. Spot on. The other thing is no coaches on the ice right now, Pat. So guys are kind of doing it on their own. And the other thing is let's just say – you played for the Indianapolis Colts and they had the same thing happening in football and you were living in Pittsburgh, you could go train at the Pittsburgh facility and not in the Indy facility if you didn't want to. I know I'm raising up a big issue for you, but that's something you could do. I mean, that, and that's what's happening in hockey. There are guys that are living in Boston that don't play for the Bruins that would be training in Boston if you follow me. That's incredible. That is really good for the community there of hockey. I would assume that guys fought each other too, and, every, and now they're skating on the same ice, socially distancing, obviously, but skating yeah. on the same ice. Pierre, with the no coaches on the ice, I did hear that Mario may be skating in Cranberry with the boys on the ice. I mean, say nothing if that means that they're guaranteed to win the cup. Bark twice if Mario Lemieux <laughs> is playing the COVID cup. You know, the one thing I can say about Mario, his nickname is Ace, and uh, one of the greatest privileges I had in my life was a chance to actually work with him and spend time with him. Uh, I was a coach, he was a player. But in the summer times, when we go back to our home bases in Canada, uh, I skated with him a lot in the summer. And Man, oh man, as good a player as he is, he's a better person. Mario Lemieux is an unbelievable guy, and he cares so much about the Penguins in the city of Pittsburgh. I can't say enough good things about Mario. Yeah, he tried to buy the Pittsburgh Pirates, but that <laughs> stupid family that owns the Pirates wouldn't, get, wouldn't sell it to him. I mean, Mario's the guy. I didn't know we call him Ace. What I call him is second greatest hockey player of all time behind Sidney Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy, Patrick, you're on it. <laughs> Pierre, did you see that video of Sidney skating on that ice the first time back? He looked like he was skating around his living room like Mary Lemieux used to have as a kid growing up with the ice in the house. You know what was pretty amazing about that whole thing was the reaction of the fans in Pittsburgh when that actually happened, and, Mary and Sidney and the guys went back on. Gensel was on there. 
it just speaks to the marketplace and how it's evolved over time. It's just a phenomenal hockey market. It really is. Right, and I think a lot more places will become a hockey market whenever they get a chance to watch the NHL for the first time starting here in the next couple of weeks. Pierre, I appreciate your service to the show. I appreciate your service to hockey, and I thank you for your time today, sir. Patrick, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thank you very much for having me on. I look forward to watching a football game with you. We could have some fun. Okay, sounds good to me, and I look forward to watching a hockey game alongside you, sir. Anytime. Well, I'm going to bring my stick. <laughs> maybe, maybe they put you between the benches with them. Oh. <laughs> hey, Pierre. Touch the table. Little less, little less tension on the lower hand. Just relax the lower hand a little bit. No, I'm getting slashed. I know. <laughs> yeah, I understand the game. Ladies and gentlemen, NBC sports legend Pierre McGuire. Yeah, Pierre! Thank you, Pierre! All right, all right. Big thanks to all the guests today, even the one that I called a scumbag. That's the first time I have ever done that to a guest of the show. But what he was saying was so raw, so real, so true, and so insane to learn about. I hope he didn't take any offense to I mean, it was kind of offensive. Like, oh, you get it. All right, we're back tomorrow with the Feel Good Friday. Bill Polian is on the show. What? Undertaker? What, dude? Big show tomorrow. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We're in this thing together. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music.